0: Can you tell me the price of this bed? $8,000. Why, that's preposterous.
1: I can get the same bed anywhere in town for $25.
2: Yes, but not with me in it.
3: Welcome to the Marx Brothers Council Podcast. Episode 9, A Goodbye from MGM. Goodbye. For this edition of the podcast, we're going to be seizing danger by the collar and devoting an entire show to The Big Store, the only Marx Brothers film, the watching of which is officially classified as an extreme sport. Is it their worst film ever? Is it the worst of their best, the best of their worst, or even an underrated minor pleasure? We're going to be answering that question once and for all, definitively and scientifically, with the aid of Gestalt psychology, graph paper, and a lead ball on a string. So without further ado... Let me introduce our store detectives. My name is Matthew Conium, but then you could say that about almost anybody. But who is this lurking in the half-light of a late afternoon in New York? Why, it's a writer, a performer, a composer, and the man who reassembled and recreated the lost Marx Brothers musical I'll Say She Is and restaged it off-Broadway, underneath Broadway, and just to one side of Broadway. And look out, Broadway. His sense of direction is getting better all the time. It's Noah Diamond. Yes,
2: thank you very much. Here I am again with $1,000 for one of our couples.
3: And what is there left to say about Bob Gasell that hasn't already been said a million times, apart, obviously, from that thing he specifically told us not to mention? Uh, I wish I could say more about that. It's it's juicy stuff. But the legal documents have been signed. And believe me, this guy keeps lawyers the way the rest of us keep pets. So I'll just stick to the safe stuff and say that he's a top class editor, a first class pop culture historian an economy-class traveller, a working-class hero, and yes, a world-class kibitzer. And when he's not eating hot dogs, he's displaying a near-mystic gift for ferreting out overlooked Marxian trivia and slotting it into bold new hypotheses. So it's a good thing for the rest of us that he's usually eating hot dogs. I've already said his name, but if, like me, your memory is not what it used to be, take this as a friendly reminder. The man of whom I speak is Mr. Bob Sing While You Gassell.
4: Hi, everybody, and I'm looking forward to talking about the big store, probably a lot more than I was looking forward to watching it.
3: (laughs) So here we are, home again and keen as mustard, but mustard's no good without roast beef. So in the absence of any roast beef, here's a fine old ham. Nick Santamaria is an actor, a comedian, a singer, a writer, a composer and a show business and film historian. He's appeared in The Producers on Broadway. He originated the role of the genie in Disney's Aladdin, the musical Off-Broadway. He's garnered rave reviews in such classics as A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum. He co-wrote, composed and starred in the original musical Real Men. He's the biffle half of Biffle & Schuster, the greatest 1930s comedy double act of the 21st century, and he's the co-author of the forthcoming masterpiece, The Annotated Abbot and Costello. He's played an accountant and a sword salesman in the movies, a tour guide, and Jerry Lewis on TV. But has he played <laughs> piano in a whorehouse? The only way to find out is to ask Nick Santamaria.
1: Ah, hello everyone. <laughs> what an introduction, my god. <laughs> it's, like you, it's like you introduced a crowd.
3: <laughs> Have you ever played piano in a whorehouse?
1: uh no no uh i have played hamlet though in a whorehouse in a whorehouse yes yes um and they all ran away which made me very melancholy
3: (laughs) it's the big store this time and i'd like to just go through some some background because it's not as widely known as the background to some of their other films, so you listening at home can uh, can skip this bit if you find it boring, but Nick Bob and uh, Noah will just have to sit here and put up with it. It's 1941, they've just completed their undisputed masterpiece Go West, and much to Chico's dismay, Groucho is sticking to the pledge that he made back at the time about the circus, that the third film under their new contract would be their last as a team. In the light of a new Latin American craze in Hollywood, the film was originally announced as a musical to be set in Argentina and called, imaginatively enough, Argentina. Nat Perrin was said to be writing The Treatment and Ed Bazell was penciled in to be their first three-in-a-row director.
4: Was the story going to be in
3: Argentina? No, it was just going to be an Argentine musical. Ah. No, no stores involved, so far as I'm aware. MGM publicity promised that the Marxists would become the wild men of the Pampas, but the project came to naught, possibly because the Ritz brothers slipped out their Argentine nights in 1940. The odd thing is that it was that film's writer composers Ray Golden, Sid Culler and Hal Bourne who ended up writing the Marx picture. Which can't be a coincidence, but the most satisfying explanation, which is obviously that the writers were booked to write Argentina and then were retained by MGM after it was dropped and that script was passed on to the Ritzes and actually became Argentine Nights, is sadly ruled out or appears to be by the chronology. So there's a mystery there. One wonders also if the musical act Six Hits and a Miss, who appear in the Sing While You Sell number, earned their spot after appearing with Carmen Miranda the year before in Down Argentine Way, and also if such little touches as the sign referencing Admiral Dewey, the line Remember the Main, and Groucho saying Adios, Senor, also strayed in from the original concept. While it's well known that Go West was first originated back in 1935 as a superior Culmer, and Ruby script, it's less well known that the same was also true of the big store. Variety mentions in 1935 that they're considering a department store idea. And then again, before a day at the races was announced in 1936, it says that the department store project has been delayed because the music hasn't been finished. Another Karlmar and Ruby script does exist under that title, and it's quoted in Roy Blount's book, uh, Hell Euphoria, and so presumably elsewhere. Originally announced as Bargain Basement, Step This Way, and briefly Gin Rummy, though not as Groucho's preferred choice, the Philadelphia store, the big store (laughs) credits Nat Perrin with original idea. And that original idea was presumably episode 15 of Flywheel, Shyster and Flywheel, with which it shares the department store setting and, of course, the character names Flywheel. And Ravelli. Nothing else is used from the episode, however, and I don't know if any of it was filtered into the Karma and Ruby script in the way that some flywheel material made its way into Calma and Ruby's duck soup. In the event Bazell did not direct, the director is Charles Reisner, whose career goes all the way back to silent films. He directed Steamboat Bill Jr., and he appears as an actor in Chaplin's A Dog's Life and The Kid. It was apparently he who introduced Chaplin to Lita Grey, so the big story is not the biggest disaster with which he was associated. (laughs) MGM's promotion largely centred around it being their last movie, making a gimmick out of a decision that they would presumably have insisted upon if it wasn't voluntary, but still hypocritically pretending otherwise with a trailer in which rampaging hordes are seen supposedly protesting the idea.
0: And so, to all of you, a fond farewell.
3: My favourite bit of desperate pre-release publicity has to be this. It appeared in Rockaway Beach Wave, which is apparently a real publication, on August the 28th, 1941. Groucho and Chico are trying to persuade the silent member of their provocative family to go brunette, brunette in quotes, in Step This Way, the new bit of Mark's madness now being shot, shot in quotes, at Metro. For years, Harpo has worn an orange-coloured wig which photographs like a dizzy blonde now the other brothers want him to dye it black and part it in the middle Champ hmm. hmm. Howard <laughs> you, you have to feel for these publicity guys you, know? <laughs> you can imagine him going home to his wife you know? you know I sat in that office all day and all I came up with was they wanted him to dye his hair black and part it in the middle <laughs> yeah, as, he, as he puts a gun to his temple you know. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well it's funny because with the big store i like the middle part best <laughs> uh, i good.
2: think maybe they were just trying to get him to wear groucho's wig from at the circus and go west that's a perfect description. <laughs> yes they oh, put yes.
3: so much money into that wig yes, <laughs> yes. oh yeah it's got to work on one of these guys <laughs>
2: it made him look so much younger
3: I mean, that's, that's the great thing about uh, Charles Reisner. That's his biggest contribution, isn't it? The wig's gone. Oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Uh, thank God, Bazzella, And Groucho is, gone. is behaving like Groucho. Yes. More or less again, yeah.
4: Matthew, why don't you tell about uh, what supposedly happened at the end of the last day of filming?
3: Yes, that's a great story as well, isn't it? Um, uh, supposedly, uh, another delightful publicity piece, which never fails to, to bring me to bitter tears, it was yes. that on the last day of shooting, they made a bonfire of their costumes and oh. threw on their wigs and coats and uh, and watched them <laughs> Zeppo, burn to ashes. Yeah. And then... <laughs> they threw Zeppo on the fire. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, and then six years later, at night in Casablanca, they uh, <laughs> had to start again from scratch, hence Harpo's hair. <laughs>
2: it's like the comic book cover, you know, Superman no more. He's burning his costume. He's turning his back yeah. on the world.
3: So, yeah, it's uh, it's the big story, and it's a big surprise uh, right at the top of the show, isn't it? The Marx Brothers and Tony Martin, the only time that they shared above the title billing with somebody else.
4: True, yeah. Do we know how that came about? Was it
3: the agent's insistence, or did, uh, did they think? It could have been the agent's, yeah. but I suspect it's just MGM insurance because the, a strange thing about Go West is that it had a lot of um, cost cutting a lot of, a lot of corners were cut as we know there's a, there's an entire song uh, that's missing that's still listed in the in the credits and um, the film came in under budget and they obviously didn't realise there was a clause in the Marxist contract mm-hmm. that uh, their films had to have a production budget of at least a million and this one came in just under and the Marxist right. screwed MGM out of a $50,000 bonus so I think this time MGM said right we'll give you your full budget but we're going to ensure it by, by bringing in Tony Martin, and and obviously it worked because it was their only MGM film to, to to show a small profit on first run. They were
1: also giving Tony Martin a big push at that time. Uh, he had come from Twentieth mm. Century Fox, where they really didn't know what to do with him, and uh, MGM took him on. and I think this was one of uh, this was the big push, one of the big pushes they were doing for Tony Martin. He was also uh, featured prom- prominently in Ziegfeld Girl around the same time.
4: Hmm. It could have also helped box office by them saying, no Zeppo.
3: A <laughs> <laughs> friend of the podcast and a, and a guest on a previous podcast, uh, Stuart Trister met and interviewed Tony Martin later in his life and he had some uh, recollections of his being cast that are, to say the least, somewhat surprising.
5: Hmm.
0: You see, I played the fourth Marx book. Well, exactly. <laughs> because it's just about the war yeah. And Zeppel was dismissed from the movie because he was given a 1B rating in the war because he had a manufacturing plant where he made equipment for dashboards for military aircraft. They were going to bring him back as as their leading man for this one. No, no, he yeah. always played with them. He okay. always was in the Marx brothers. I he was one before Marx. There were five. Yeah. There was Gummo who was an agent too. There was also there was even a sixth one who died in infancy. Well, I don't remember him. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I, neither, neither did Harper. It was a little before my time. <laughs> <laughs> He'd said to me a wonderful yeah. thing once, Groucho. Yeah. I said, Mister Marx. He says, Call me Groucho. I said, I'm very honored to be in this picture. I said. You see all these people. He says, what's your problem? I said, well, I go to all the previews, and I don't know what to say. They said, you like the pictures? Yes, marvelous. But I don't <laughs> like to lie all the time. He said, well, do what I do. I said, what do you do, Mr. Morris? He said, call me Grouchy. Said, what do you do? He said, well, I, I go. He said, I just saw my friend Bill Eddie Roberts. He played in a, in a play in New York. And I went to see him backstage. He said, how was it, Groucho?" I said you'll, be you said, you'll never be better than you were tonight. He said, you'll never be better than you were tonight. I said, thank you is that has two meanings. I'm honest, that means you're rotten, and you're what either way. So we had the preview of this picture. We couldn't run it at the university where people understood jokes. At UCLA, they used to have sneak preview. Uh For comedy they have to run a picture, see whether it's funny. Cut things out, slow things up. So they have to run it in santa monica and all the old jewish people came who didn't understand but i sang a song in there called the tenement symphony right that and was and they it. thought that was sensational because i sang the cones and the kelly's and all right. you know, things the cries of the vendor brought our lot lar- you know all that stuff and the, all the cards in the lobby said tony martin we need more tony martin so Groucho's in the lobby in the theater, and I walk out. I had a girlfriend to date them. He says, I oh, want you to thank the theater. Picture, he says to me, I says, Groucho, you'll never be better than you were tonight. And he's like, you son of a bitch. He said to me, and I ran out of the theater. He thought that was fun.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay, Tony? I actually got to sing um, If It's You with Tony Martin. Uh, he was ah. about 98 years old. And I had seen him uh, appear at a jazz club here in Los Angeles, and he was quite
3: good. For his age, you mean? <laughs> <laughs> and now that I've stopped the show dead, <laughs> I didn't mean that nastily.
5: <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs> like, yes, for an idea. Yes. Okay, so so uh, we kick off with uh, with some uh, some adorable kids, some 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 gorgeous MGM moppets uh, playing the piano. Apparently cast after a nationwide search and apparently coached by Chico in the art of piano playing, mm. one of them being twelve-year-old uh, Richard Hayden, who appeared in a few other MGM films but died in 1949, uh, aged just 22, of acute respiratory infection. Mm. Mm. Sorry to, to to bring it down, but that's what happened to him. But yes, there mm. they all are, uh, d- not not playing uh, woogie boogie. <laughs> yes, remember no woogie no boogie. Woogie boogie. No yeah. woogie boogie. And speaking of cute, Chico is at his, at his most obnoxiously cute, I think, throughout this one, isn't he? Uh,
1: when, he says, when he says to the kids, hey, kids, you hear that? A new conservatory. And they start jumping <laughs> up and screaming like the uh, uh, R yeah. gang kids
4: from yeah. the <laughs> MGM years. Right. Exactly. A new conservatory.
3: Yeah. And his ideas for a new conservatory art, aren't they? Stained glass windows is one of the things he wants to, uh, yes. to bring into this new conservatory, as if that would be a priority, as that's what the, the previous conservatory lacked. <laughs> Stained
6: glass windows.
2: Stained glass windows. Tell me? Fine. Well, what he really wants is for those kids to have the same opportunities that I have. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
6: Yeah.
4: Now we've established that Chico is Raveli, but it's not the same Raveli from Animal Crackers. However, when they start talking about how they want to tell something to the professor. I keep thinking maybe Harpo is in charge, of running this place.
5: <laughs>
4: well, are we
2: are we sure this this cannot be the man who attended Missus Rittenhouse's party uh, some years back? It could be because it it has implications later when he encounters an actual Italian man. I guess we'll get to that, but you know, mm. this movie suggests that this character actually is Italian. Uh, or at least is capable of reminiscing with a, a legitimate mm. Italian, which means that money. which means that Harpo is also Italian. Yeah. Yes, is yes. Italian. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Yes. So if this is the same man, this casts uh, new light on Roscoe W. Chandler's
3: implication. <laughs> <laughs> but also, Tommy. I was talking to um, to Bob just earlier before before we started. Tommy Rogers is a, a, an interesting character. I mean, obviously, we have this. This back plot of him coming up from the streets and we have the Tenement Symphony as his kind of tribute to that. But that seems to me like a, a peculiar kind of about face way of creating a plot setup that is that is very unusual. You would think he would be Hiram Phelps's son. Uh, it's very unusual that, he, that he's his protégé. Uh, as Bob said, protégé isn't in quotes. But uh, <laughs> yeah, he, he's not related in any way to Hiram Phelps. So we presume if he's got half the department store, he's inherited half the department store, Hiram Phelps uh, must have been uh, unmarried and childless. Uh, Martha Phelps isn't his wife. Uh, she's his sister. Douglas dumbril does say the old man's sister. So that means that Margaret Dumont is not a widow here. She's a spinster, uh-huh. so that's that that changes her dynamics somewhat, I think. Um, mm. And you would think they would have just written it as as you know a nephew or you know some some slightly more distant relation, but but no, he's he's his protege, which suggests an, a, an entirely un, un uh, undiscovered backstory about Hiram Phelps, presumably uh, you know liking music and wanting to give people a chance and all and all. A that.
4: confirmed bachelor.
3: And a, right. yes, a confirmed bachelor. Yes, mm. with a with a thing for with a thing for band leaders,
1: <laughs> or or young kids growing up on the streets.
3: But of course the fly in the ointment is Douglas Dunbrill, who who is the store manager and wants wants to take over the department store and to that end he's obviously hired Crap Murders Limited uh, the world's worst firm of assassins to uh, <laughs> Absolutely. to uh, carry out his plan because he, he specifically tells this killer that uh, I want you to do this and make it look like an accident <laughs> uh, and this bozo then goes into an elevator and punches him in the face momentarily <laughs> stunning him at best he then walks out and Winks at Dunbrill as if he's done his job. <laughs> <laughs> oh.
2: He's really evil, isn't he, Mr. Grover? I mean, this is an unusual thing. He's scene. horrible. He's, he's, out of, he's out of Shakespeare. Yeah. He's out of Shakespeare. Oh. Yes, he's oh, all fresh out.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I'm fresh out of Shakespeare. Um, but, but this no. guy, he's
2: going to kill people. He's going to make them suffer.
1: Uh huh. Mm. I'm going to marry you after I kill Martha.
2: Oh, my I mean, goodness. Just to get a get a department store not
3: nice. as far as, as far yeah
4: but
1: he gets to kiss marion martin Marion. and martin.
4: they have to cook the books because the stories apparently isn't doing so good they have so they have to co- mm. cook the books. yes it's not yeah. even doing well yeah
2: mm-hmm. you can see why when they made their next movie they had to go straight to the nazis because from here there was yes. nowhere
1: else to go for where else yeah. but uh there um dumbril is just uh, i think he's a delight in this role i mean his his part makes absolutely mm. no sense whatsoever. I mean, <laughs> he makes such blunders along the way. And he's mm-hmm. the boss. You mm. know, he's the one making the yeah. decisions. The gun in
3: the camera? <laughs> yeah. That's All the he best has to he do, do is get someone to stick a knife in Tommy when he walks out the store. Instead, he, he, he creates this gun. <laughs> yeah. Th- this camera that you can put a gun in. And he does it himself with no gloves on. No gloves. He puts. Th- <laughs> He puts the gun in with no gloves on. He's great. I, I think he's a brilliant character. He's brilliant. We should have seen more of him.
2: <laughs> he figures a shot is a shot, no matter what. Um, it does kind of make you long for the logical, motivated realism of his part in A Day at the Races. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. <laughs>
3: You can, as you watch this, you can hear Falberg's corpse rotating <laughs> <laughs> on a rotisserie. <laughs> uh,
1: I was just hoping they'd kill Tommy Rogers before Tenement Symphony. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting, uh, uh, the script by the Ritz Brothers writers. I mean, they were exclusively yeah. Ritz Brother writers. They wrote their songs, yeah. they wrote their bits. You know, Sid Collar, Ray Golden, and Hal Finberg. decent writers—and and they worked very well with the Ritz Brothers. I felt I'm I'm a I, I may be in the minority here, but I'm a fan of the Ritz Brothers. Um, I enjoy them,
5: yeah. Yeah, I
1: enjoy them. I mean, they're not you know they're nowhere near the Marx Brothers, and their their comedy material was nowhere near uh, the level of the Marx Brothers. But their songs and dances were just delightful. You know, they were they were just mm. uh, such highlights in the films. But how interesting that these guys ended up writing the film, writing the last mm. supposedly marx brother film,
3: yeah, I mean there are so many if you when you go through the trades, there are so many near collisions between those two acts they're constantly compared, mm-hmm. and there's constant talk of of either them teaming up or of one of them doing something that was intended for the other i mean they' they're, they're like the sort of Kind of, a, they're on a constant near miss collision course, really, throughout their careers. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is one of the one of the oddest uh, crossovers of of, of all. Um, and of course, they, it's not until Joys, is it, that they actually do uh, they <laughs> do team up in, in the form of uh, is it is it Harry in in Joys? Harry. Harry Ritz. Mm-hmm. It's Harry, isn't it? Yeah. Who's mm-hmm. uh, who's on you know on very good form and, and Groucho, sadly, is not. Mm-hmm. But it's not until then that they actually do collide. But they 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 constantly threaten to. There
1: is a photo of them. I think it's an Actors' Fund benefit of uh, Chico, Groucho, mm-hmm. and Harry Ritz uh, yes, dancing right, with yes. Betty Grable.
2: Oh, yes. Mm-hmm.
1: And and of course, they were all members of the Hillcrest Country Club and, and uh, mm-hmm. sat at the round table together.
3: Okay, so now the film takes uh, a considerable leap uh, upwards when um, Martha Phelps decides that uh, Tommy needs protection. And uh goes through the, the telephone directory and instantly hits on uh a detective agency that happens to be staffed by Groucho and Harpo, uh a rare double act appearance for them, in um rather rather a good scene. I think everyone, um, no matter how little they like the film, like like at least the the, the setup of this scene, even if the lines aren't great. Um there's something rather delightful about seeing uh Harpo and Groucho together here, isn't there?
5: Yeah,
1: there is. May I may I mention first a little minutiae that I noticed in the mm. scene where Margaret Dumont asks for the phone book? She does something that she would have never done in any other film. She actually sits on the edge of the desk quite comfortably and quite yes, humanly. Yes, that. Yeah, and looks through the phone book. Now that may seem like you know nothing to most people, but Margaret Dumont would have never done that in any other film.
2: She's not a widow here. She's, she's
1: had she's to be a, independent
2: all her
3: life. And she's, she's the
1: sister of a, of a homosexual store owner, yes.
3: She's <laughs> sitting on desks reading phone books. Flywheel's uh, little little ad in the, in the book doesn't have a phone number, does yeah, it? Yeah, he's
2: the only one with no
3: contact information. He just has his name. So uh, she thinks, that's the man for me.
2: <laughs> yeah. It's a very private detective.
3: I do
1: enjoy watching Groucho and Harpo working together. That's one of the joys of this mm. film for me. I also like the bouncy uh, sing-before-breakfast uh, song that, that seemed to be <laughs> yeah. playing on the radio, you know, as Harpo's doing his shtick.
4: The gag is now well-executed where it comes to Groucho and it's, there's the exercise instructions coming on, mm-hmm. and he changes it to music. Yes.
2: And now, friends, stand on your head with your back against the wall. This is...
4: The camera's moving off it, and you you sort of miss the fact that he's changed the station, mm-hmm. and it just sounds like background music has come on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's a good idea for gag, but not well executed, not well directed. One, two, now stretch.
2: Crash. One, one two, one, two, now stretch. Carpo's <laughs> uh, transcription at the typewriter, I think, is genuinely funny, and um, it's a Very good funny. use of yes. Marxian logic because he mm-hmm. couldn't mm-hmm. possibly be, you know, really transcribing what
3: she's saying. Um exactly he's... it's two jokes, isn't it? yeah, it's all part it's of the on show. the one hand uh they can't hear her, and on the other hand, he is typing something. So, yeah, yes, and his like good, dogged
2: insistence on on an activity yeah. that defeats its own purpose. <laughs> it's very, and, and I love the way it shoots off, and he grabs it again. That's yeah. wonderful. It's
1: laugh out loud funny. It really is laugh out yeah. loud funny. Yeah,
5: yeah.
2: I also like very much Groucho telling Dumont that he'll take her case because, after all, you are a woman.
4: That's you are how, a woman.
2: <laughs> in yeah, the, you're the, a woman. Just, yeah, take a good joke where you can get it to partner.
4: Mm -hmm. At no point in the scene does Groucho actually find out what the problem is.
3: What the job is, yeah. yeah.
1: (laughs) What does it matter? She's rich.
3: (laughs) (laughs) I think this is one of a number of scenes in the film, really, that are – people sort of underrate it because it's not great, and you sort of forget that it's – although it's not great, it's a lot better – than you would think it would be Yeah, yes. uh, it's a lot better than their previous a lot better than a lot better than they had been sort of around this time there are mm-hmm. some lines in it that aren't great but they're they're pretty good you know you lose either way mm-hmm. uh, come up and break a window you know you are a woman aren't you it's uh it's not great but it's better
1: and mm-hmm. we we have to celebrate the fact that groucho's back absolutely mm-hmm. i feel like he took a little vacation yeah uh during go yep. west and at the circus and he's back yep. you know his hairline is back his his uh his yeah, character voice, is back yeah he attacks uh, Grover immediately for no reason other than the fact that he immediately dislikes him, you know,
3: he doesn't know he's a crook, but he comes in and he just goes for him. It's very, very noticeable. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is, this stuff is a a gray area. It is a fine line. I mean, if you look particularly in sing while you sell, which I know even, uh, I think Noah and Bob don't like, you know, as much as I do, but you know, he's still sort of being an ass in that, but it, it, He's just—he's not—he's not the Bazell ass. There's just something about—I um, love—I love him jitterbugging. I love that he, when he um, walks away before Virginia O'Brien comes on, he, he exits. He does like a stupid walk, mm-hmm. and I, I just find it funny. And he does—he does a face when he's jitterbugging. He does a face with his teeth gritted. Mm-hmm. He looks a bit like Woody Allen when he when he grits his teeth. <laughs> he's enjoying himself. Um, so you know, he, he's still—he's still really selling it, but he's not—he's not that Bazell groucho I, mm-hmm. I can't. It's hard to define, but yeah, he's back. Mm-hmm.
1: It's Groucho during the swing era, and, uh, yes. it, and it works. It, I think it works. Oh. I, I'm a big fan of that song. I, I think it's quite enjoyable. Mm. And it's, uh, it's uh, boosted heavily by Virginia O'Brien's performance, which is yeah. what mm. I find in my, in my lifetime of uh, Marxian madness. Uh, most people remember that best about this film is Virginia O'Brien. <laughs> Yeah. I guess that doesn't say much for the film but still, you know, it's, it's <laughs> I find it very interesting. She's very funny. Mm. It's a good turn.
3: Very funny, very striking very mm-hmm. beautiful, Yeah.
1: So, uh getting back to um the uh detective office. Or did we leave yes. the, de- the detective office?
3: No, right no, of we're moment. still there. Yeah.
1: I like the telegram, the hand behind yes. the closet.
3: Yeah.
1: But Harpo reloads after he hands him the telegram.
3: <laughs> uh
1: but let's get to the worst joke.
3: Uh, I I could have sworn I shaved this morning. I could have sworn I
1: shaved this morning. I've never understood that. What does
3: it mean? What does it
2: mean? What could it possibly mean? mean? Because you know how when you don't shave sometimes you you, a huge.
1: You
3: you shed huge amounts of hair.
1: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Happens to me all the time. It's it's an Italian trait.
3: But I think that's Um, just to remind us, you know, that it's not that Go West is full of lines like that pointless meaningless lines oh, i thought it was fungus with buttons and you know yeah. the first business i've done with a dust storm all that stuff it's just one just just to just to just to rub it in i think that this is this film is basically better than that that's yeah. how i look at it
1: oh go west don't get me started
2: <laughs> well one of the things that makes this a little nicer is it's you know it doesn't hurt that we're back in a contemporary urban environment back
3: in the real world yeah which is where they where should they be where they belong yeah mm-hmm. Although, Definitely. it
4: seems like at MGM that they tried to make, uh, Maggie's reaction to Groucho a little more realistic, uh, in opera and races. And here, when she comes in, he does absolutely nothing to alleviate her fears or to actually make a good impression. But she's, no, she's on board for, for reasons yeah. that I can't understand. And it's not like they have a prior relationship where she trusts him or finds him attractive, mm. but you know, I wish I. Her- there was something in there to make it to, to sell it a little more that why she, why she continues on with this after that initial meeting.
3: I suppose she's impressed by, by Harpo's subterfuge that that <laughs> obviously works. Mm-hmm. Um, You know, all, all those tricks designed to, uh, you know, deceive her obviously work, but yeah, she obviously just looks at this guy and thinks that's a detective. That's a detective. All right. You yeah. know, mm-hmm. it tells you how
2: things have changed though. Cause in the paramount films, Margaret Dumont's unswervable faith in Groucho was better it was better for not being logical or having an explanation, right? Um, it it but fit now, in with the mood of the films. Yeah, mm-hmm. right, right.
3: Yes, I mean it doesn't have a it doesn't have a valid explanation, but there's usually you know I mean like even in Duck Soup she she does know already know him. That's the difference, mm-hmm. isn't
5: it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's,
3: although although she has no reason to have any faith in him, at least you know there is some kind of history. But here she's just found him in a phone book
1: i i think she's delightful in this film i i love how how mm. game she is and uh how she and groucho just immediately bond you know they're they're grovers out of the picture like at the beginning of the movie you know it's it's groucho wins
3: i mean i wonder how much of this is a legacy of the the original casting because um as we know martha phelps was originally going to be marion martin's part right which i can't she see at all um she had been cast as Lulu Bell in, in go West and then had mm-hmm. fallen ill at the very last minute. Mm-hmm. And they said, right, you can have a, you can have a part in our next film as compensation. And she was going to be Martha Phelps. And then when it was going to be, uh, when it was decided that they we're going to make a big deal of it being their last film, they, they said, right, we must have Margaret Dumont in this. So she took over Martha Phelps. So I wonder if, if a lot of the, the stuff with Martha Phelps is, was originally written to be much more sexual. Mm-hmm. Um. So, so immediate i imagine i see flywheel being more flirty in that scene originally mm-hmm. and then there's that very strange bit where they quote byron and shelley at each other which doesn't yeah. really come to a joke well I, the burmish well, is, that
1: is sort of a joke well
3: to a point to a point mm-hmm. but yeah but they, you know there's there's a hell of a lot of them just kind of flirting in a way that is never undercut or in that sequence isn't undercut as it usually is by an insult with an insult mm-hmm. from
4: show. true are Grover and Martha already an item or engaged? They're engaged, yes. And, yeah. and she's flirting with Groucho right off the bat. Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So was- I get the feeling that that was originally meant to be a much younger, more attractive woman. That helps um, family. that slightly mm-hmm. makes more sense of this stuff. But but the, the net result, seeing Margaret Mont doing that, it mm-hmm. is a delight, I think. I think so, too.
2: I think it's it was a great swan song for, uh, for uh, mm. Maggie. It's interesting to think of in this recent rewatch for this podcast, I was more conscious than I have been in the past when watching the big store of the fact that, you know, they all oh. believed this. Yeah. In general, <laughs> I was, stop, yeah. I tried very hard to stay conscious. That. <laughs> I was just more
5: conscious. This yeah, time, yeah.
2: Unfortunately, I saw the movie and, uh, but you know, they all knew or they all believed that it was their last film, you know, or their last mm. film mm. as a team. Mm. And uh, I tried mm. to, put myself in their heads a little bit. And, you know, there is a kind of Mm. sweetness to the Dumont and Groucho stuff here that Mm. I I don't know if it was because of this, but it felt a little bit like, oh, this is, you know, maybe our last time around the block until we do the Hollywood Palace in 20 years. I think it has a
3: genuine uh, charm. You know, I think it it is like, you know, let's, let's, let's go out with a nice big send off. And obviously the script isn't, Quite up to that, but but they are. I, I think, think they're they, they're all giving it. They're all on.
2: Yeah, and that kind of gives it the warmth that was missing from the mm. previous two films.
1: Mm-hmm. We have to remember mm. too that it was 1941, and comedy itself, in general, became a kinder, gentler thing. You know, mm-hmm. yeah. People were rushing to uh, see Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland movies, you know, and things of that ilk. And uh, this mm. had to the Marx Brothers had to fall into line, I suppose. Yeah. Now, was this pre-war or... I know it's 41. June, June of 41. Yeah, we weren't there yet. We were. You were, definitely. Mm. But we we, <laughs> we we had to wait till December. <laughs>
3: It's no. It's worth no. It's a. It's an important question because we have a, a funny Italian in it, and this whole Night at the Opera thing right, about you know right. that whether were, were, were those Italian cuts to to appease Italy or were they to uh, to get rid of Italy? Here we have a very jolly Italian right on the right on the eleventh hour of of World War Two, don't we?
1: Right, right. In fact, we have several of them if you count the children, and even more yes. if you
4: count that wife. <laughs> so, if MGM had done the cuts. Uh, for opera in the late 30s, apparently by this point they didn't care what the Italian reaction would be.
3: Exactly, but yes. I mean, I mean, n- n- well, I mean, obviously there's nothing, it's only a, like an amusing Italian character exactly akin to to Chico, isn't it? But but if they were in a kind of, uh, you know, we don't want Italians in our movie kind of frame of mind, then obviously that, that would have gone, I think. Mm-hmm. I think it's a small, a little small hint that it was... Uh, Dean
1: you know, Martin did a, a screen test for MGM in the uh, early 40s. And Louis B. Mayer's response was, what do we want with another Italian singer? And he was referring to Tony Martin. He obviously didn't realize that Tony Martin was (laughs) Jewish and from New York.
2: It did look like an Italian suit he was wearing.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Tony gets our our, our next scene all to himself after... uh, groucho and um and uh, margaret drive off and we welcome home Admiral dewey the hero of manila we get the yes. famous recording booth scene uh, <laughs> why it's mr rogers uh, celebrity day and there's this whole strange thing about how famous is he is he a famous man or not some people seem to know him but, yeah. some people don't have a clue who he is he's mm-hmm. on the cover of that sheet music uh, that old woman knows him, but you know Clara
1: Blandick a... seems to be his biggest fan.
3: Yes, that's right. So he records it on the, on that wonderful little home recording device, mm-hmm. which I would love to to have one of those. But let's let's not forget that "If It's You" is uh, Mr. Nick Santamaria's favorite song from any Marx Brothers movie. Is that hmm. not correct?
1: Right, straight song, <laughs> straight song, uh, yeah. written by Ben Oakland, Milton Drake, and Artie Shaw
3: whose names appear on that on that brief shot of the sheet music, don't they? Right. It says, performed by Tommy Rogers, mm-hmm. but it's got the real uh, writer's names, which is very annoying.
1: And apparently, uh, it was – and I, I don't know if this is true. I, I used to date a, a British woman, and her father was the last editor of the TV Times, Matthew. Grant Lockhart, yeah. Oh, yes. And Grant was a good friend of mine. And he told me that uh, If It's You was set to be a hit in America – but um, heard in this film, but something <laughs> happened. I don't know if it, was, if it was wartime related or or something. But um, uh, like the Tenement Symphony, it was more of a hit in England than it was in America.
3: That's interesting. I know Tenement Symphony had had a, a, a quite a big uh, presence over here. Yes, I didn't know that about. If it's you as well, yeah.
1: But we'll we'll get to Tenement Symphony as we go.
3: I do like it. I just—I'm uh, not so keen on that line. Uh, I'll rush across the floor. I think that's a slightly contrived rhyme, and I always picture him sort of scuttling, scuttling on all fours. Yeah, when I was, when I was a kid, I, <laughs> I imagined
1: him drunk, sort of crawling, you know, Ray Milland-like <laughs> across the floor. yes.
6: yes. <laughs> she got in touch with me. Drag across the floor. Ah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
4: uh. Did we ever establish what the B side was uh, of this? <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Flight of the Bumblebee." I'm not sure.
3: Revolution Nine.
6: I, think. <laughs> <laughs> I always forget the lyrics to that.
1: But anyway, so I, I think that's a very yeah. sweet scene. I never that scene never bothered me. It never yeah. bored mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. You know, as as other numbers might have in the uh, previous films, and it's uh, heads above uh, things like "Step up and take the bow." Oh my God. Yeah. Um, mm. But uh, it's it's actually a good uh, 1940s ballad that mm. I think should have been more popular than it was.
4: And for such a big store, they, they seem to be out of everything people are coming to buy. Uh, they don't the, have uh, the material <laughs> for her hat, yeah, they're, for they're, Marian they're, Martin's
1: yeah. hat. They don't have the, the record. <laughs>
3: it's true. <laughs> and, the, and the other thing that strikes me is once he starts performing that, he doesn't draw a crowd. Yeah. <laughs> when he finishes, <laughs> it's still just that one woman stood there. <laughs>
2: Yeah, what are the odds? We don't have the record, but we have the singer, and only you care. Well, the people were all at home listening to the record. You
1: know? <laughs> yeah, the, people that the people sold that... out the record. <laughs> <laughs> and you wonder, you know, Clara Blandick, who played the old lady who wanted the record, was a suicide uh, later mm. on. Oh, I didn't know that. A very tragic oh. character, yeah. She was uh, ended oh. up in an old-age home, and she... Oh, she's she actually, she's in the Wizard
3: of Oz, yeah. She's the yes, uh, she she's an aunt, yeah. So, yeah, yeah, she is. Yeah, she
1: actually took poison and put a plastic bag over her head uh, to Yikes. end her life. <laughs> and I think she was playing that
4: record at the time. I'm not sure yes, I must right. have. I wasn't going to go there. I was really trying hard here. You're really trying hard,
5: Bob. I go there. My goodness.
2: <laughs> Oh, and my. that's why Nacho has that chilling line. You can put your head in a bag, but we'll have to tighten your brakes.
5: The-
1: <laughs> <laughs> and that's how he got his reputation as a fresh guy.
5: Uh,
1: he's putting
3: everybody's head in a bag.
2: Well, now that we've gotten rid of our listeners. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> so now I'll Groucho meets
3: Grover. I'll miss them. Groucho <laughs> meets Grover and uh, look at him. Look at him come into that room. He, uh, <laughs> he throws his fur coat on the sofa. He, he flings his hat upon the lights. Oh, yeah. And uh, misses. He, as if they're a hat stand. Yeah, and misses. He steals a cigar. He strikes a match against his thigh. I mean, this is Groucho again, isn't it? Groucho's yeah. back.
1: Groucho's back. Yeah.
4: Yeah, this is my favorite scene in the film.
2: And he's swimming in his tail
4: Oh,
1: and, mm.
2: and
1: a, a favorite line of mine is when he looks at Grover's coat and feels the material, and he says, "Oh, the same tailor. How yeah. much do you own?"
5: <laughs>
3: I think I love that line. Yeah, and the energy is—is is, I think it's—it's it's, you know we're right back at kind of Night at the Opera kind of energy. Mm-hmm. We just don't mm-hmm. quite have that script, but no,
1: no, but, but still,
3: we've got the zip, we've got the pace, we've, and we've got the attack for no apparent reason. Yeah. And then it pays off in that lovely line I told you in the first. Really, was a crook at the yeah, end. Yeah, but I love how he
1: attacks him. I love his his questions to Grover's questions.
3: It's bargain
0: day. The store is crowded. A woman faints. What do you do? How old is she?
2: What difference does that make? You know. Yeah, it it feels exactly right, even even when the yeah. material isn't quite golden age best. It it feels mm. right. Right.
3: Although it does, obviously, as we all know. Take a very strange turn when Tommy comes in, and they, oh, yeah. uh, Groucho and Tommy, uh, kind of flirt. There's <laughs> no, yeah. no, no two ways about it. They, they kind of uh, hit on each other.
0: Why, well, I think you're great. What do you, uh, what do you really think of me? Well, I, I think you're wonderful. Do you? Do you think I'm any good? <laughs> Man, you're terrific. How Am I uh, all right? Want to know? You're sensational. I can listen to this man forever.
1: Well, yes. I mean, think about what we said My, about Hiram Phelps. I mean, yeah,
3: yeah, but uh, for for, for <laughs> Groucho to, to, uh, to fall for that, yeah. I've brought the, I've
4: brought this up many times before. But that that exchange just baffles me. It, it sounds like it's leading up to a fantastic punchline, but yeah. a fantastic punchline never comes, no, and yeah. not even a bad punchline. There's there's like no punchline. It's mm-hmm. just love at first. Yeah. They're sort of Bob. rubbing
3: against each yeah. other, aren't they? Right. right.
4: Right, yeah.
3: Grouch is almost kind of putting his head on his, on the guy's shoulder, isn't he? It's a it, it's a very strange And, and eating it up. You stage. look at his face; he keeps mm. looking back at mm. the others
1: to say, almost <laughs> as if to say, "Do you hear this? Isn't this great? He loves me.
2: This guy loves me." <laughs> It yeah. almost feels like the attitude that Groucho assumes toward alky Briggs in monkey business you know the first year we yes. have our squabbles but but the situation is so different right in that case, he's answering a tough guy with all this flirtatious stuff, and it's it's a sign of groucho's audacity. he's still being a wise ass, yeah, but there's no
3: I wonder if that's meant to be the idea yes that he's that he's yeah, but he plays it so sincerely
5: <laughs> he does <Yeah. laughs> he's really
1: enjoying it it's like scratch my back, you know yeah. Yeah, <laughs> which would have been
4: a better a better punchline. But, but but what about Zeppo when Zeppo was like, "I'm I'm proud to be your son." I mean, he doesn't always react like
2: that uh, mm. to getting the
4: compliments. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: Yeah, well maybe it's because Tony Martin is billed above the title. And you know, that's yes. just <laughs> it that's sexy it. in a way.
3: And it's not just that he that he responds, it's that he keeps fishing, doesn't he? Like, Am I yeah.
1: all right? Well I think, think that, Well Matthew, I think that's the joke. That's the joke that leads up to yeah. no punchline. Um, but mm. it's it's Groucho just fishing. He's fishing for more. Give me more.
3: Mm. Give me more.
1: You know, it would have been—it would have worked actually—if they had a more satisfying punchline.
3: Yeah, or or if it was uh, he was talking to a woman. I mean, obviously, if he was talking to a woman, it would be fine. You know, yeah, it was yeah. Hard.
1: Uh, In that scene, I think Chico has perhaps the most inane line he's ever had <laughs> in any film
5: God.
1: or any appearance he ever made. And are you ready? Sure. <laughs> you better let Flywheel handle this case. He's a smart man. Yeah. <laughs> now i'm thinking back to our gang uh and what MGM did to our gang and you know the endings of those films were we'll never be bad boys again dun, 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 dun. um it's along those lines it's like what chico Marx, this once funny man who was given mm. decent material to say was given this line yeah.
4: you better let yeah. flywheel handle this case <laughs> well you you remember one of chico's lines from the film which is more than I can. <laughs> he I watched it here. last night and yeah. made notes, actually.
2: I like when he says you and me are going to be insufferable.
1: Insufferable. That's, that's a good line.
3: Bad. Yeah, that's not bad, yeah.
1: But uh, the nitrate line.
3: But it's too late for Chico, isn't it? It's just too late. It really you is. Know, yeah. the man He's gone. who... who uh, The man who gets paid more for not rehearsing than performing is Mm -hmm. already the man who says to um, whatever her name is, Judy. You know, you can't. You can fire me. Yeah, you don't have to pay me, but you can't fire me. You know, so he's finished.
4: If this is their farewell performance, you would think he and Groucho would have one last uh, go at it. Yeah, yeah. Shame. You would hope. It's a a little
2: like in this scene. Mm. It's presented as a revelation that Harpo and Chico are brothers. But Harpo works for Groucho, um, and Groucho does mm. not seem to have ever encountered Chico before.
1: Yeah, I, think no. I always get the impression that they were separated somehow. You know, maybe uh-huh. at Ellis Island. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes. but, but then there's that line, he's a no driver, that's a my brother. right?
2: Yeah.
1: And he scratches mm. his back and stuff. But um, Chico was gone by this time. Actually, watching mm. the film again last night, I, I came away forgetting about Chico. I, I forgot he was in the film, basically. Mm-hmm. Except for the piano duet yeah, and a couple of other minor scenes, uh, he's not in the
4: film. The only thing I can uh, recall about his performance is that he's the one who actually lunges at Grover and grabs the gun. Yeah, at the that's end, true. At the end. That's okay,
3: true. yeah. I presume the story about him is true, that by this time he literally um, counted his lines.
4: He'd count the lines, And he didn't yeah.
3: care what they were as long as he had a sufficient number. Now, I wonder so, if that's
1: apocryphal know. or not
3: who knows, but, you know, I can't imagine, you know, for somebody who still cared and he did, you know, he mm-hmm. did still want to be making those movies. Why he couldn't, you know, just say, you know, for Christ's sake, give me something funny. You know, I mean, well, I
1: think you have to be there in order to do yeah, something. Like that,
3: yeah, yeah, and yeah. And his mind yeah. was I mean, I appreciate he is the hardest to write for. I've always mm-hmm. said oh, that. Without mm-hmm. a doubt. And, and. At the same time, they just stopped trying, you know. I'll go
1: further. I think he's the most limited of the brothers. Um, I mean, the three brothers. <laughs> Um, he's the most specialist,
3: and, certainly. Yeah, yeah well, by, yeah. by
1: that time, actually, by the time they were making the movies in the 1930s, uh, what he was doing was already passe. The dialect comedians.
3: Yes, mm-hmm. that's right. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was Park just sheer fluke that he happened to be brilliantly funny. Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: I, I watched a movie called, uh, in fact, it's a Kalmar and Ruby script, a movie called Life of the Party. And it's mm-hmm. a Joe Penner film. Uh, he's the star. And Park your Carcass is in it, uh, Harry Einstein. And mm-hmm. he's a, a Greek dialect comedian. And they wrote Chico Mark scenes for him. And they're oh, funnier man. than anything Chico did in most of the MGM films. Yeah. At least
4: in At the Circus and Go West, they were trying. Even if yeah. they were uh, misdirected, they were trying to give him something. Yeah. Although they were giving him lines like, Hey, Tadpole, you better get out of the water.
1: <laughs> I tend to remember really <laughs> terrible dialogue from their films. I don't know. It just amuses
2: me. Well, speaking of terrible dialogue, this scene where Groucho faces off with Grover for the first time includes Grover's line.
0: Why, this place is
2: becoming a madhouse. Which (laughs) Adamson points out as this seems to be the writer's way of saying, if only this place were becoming a madhouse. (laughs) (laughs) Which is quite true.
1: It does smack of
2: desperation. It's a little soon
1: to be saying that. I also find the intro into um, Sing While You Sell very interesting.
2: How do you
0: expect me to run a store with you maniacs? Destroying priceless antiques, insulting customers, disturbing the general routine. No wonder business is bad. Mr. Grover, you are just a
2: quack to me. Though I may insult you, don't talk back to me. Uh, yeah, all of a sudden. Oh, my God, we're in a production. Uh-huh. And I had no idea.
3: It's very interesting. Oh, Before that, though, I must uh, just very briefly crave your indulgence and I must uh, own up to an egregious error in my book. This is the first uh, in a series that I'm going to call Owning Up to Egregious Errors in my book. Uh, There's the the line, um, he's all right, he's the detective here, when Harpo brings the purse back. There's about a page in my book devoted to uh, what a peculiar line that is, because Harpo is suddenly become the store detective and why does why has that not been known? And, of course, oh. he isn't. The line is being said to Harpo about the other guy in the scene. Mm-hmm. So that entire page of my book is absolute drivel and it will disappear <laughs> in the second edition. So- wait, wait a second, wait a second. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <Sure. laughs>
2: you must have been out on a tail last
3: night. <laughs> so yeah. that being said my, my soul is purged and let's let's sing while we sell yes. <laughs> let me fish
1: your book out of the garbage pail hold on
2: ah, here it is hey as long as we're indulging each other <laughs> <laughs> who are you hiram phelps i would i would love to point out the sign outside the store says that phelps department store was established in 1857 yep Which yes. makes it one year older than macy's Mm-hmm. Also older than Bloomingdale's Gimbals, B. Altman and Bergdorf Goodman, but not as old as Lord and Taylor, established in 1826.
1: Do so you know the story behind Lord and Taylor?
2: I loved him, hated her.
1: <laughs> uh, Lord is actually referring to God.
2: Is that right? Mm-hmm.
1: Mr. Taylor was a rather religious man, so it was Lord oh. and Taylor. There is no Mr. Lord who was a partner.
3: Wow
1: so there you go okay
3: what other podcast gives you stuff like this no other podcast.
1: name it i listened to four <laughs> yesterday that said the exact same
3: thing <laughs> <laughs> so where are we we're at sing while you sell and it's oh, you that's know, why we keep thinks, putting it off i like it groucho is enjoying himself I he's love visibly it. enjoying himself that's we know true. groucho yes. we know groucho if he's not enjoying himself he will not pretend he is so he is and it's a fun song it's a great song that the the the, the the biggest problem I have with it is that Chico's not there. Yeah, I don't know why he's I, not there. I noticed there. that last seems night. seems such a Last shame. night when um, mm-hmm. Groucho and Harpo yeah. were
1: dancing around on that moving platform, where was Chico? Mm. You know, um, I, I, I assume the track or, or that whorehouse that I played piano in. But,
3: well, yes. But, but uh, uh, you know, well, you you'd think he would have been written in there yeah. somewhere. Just a little burst of piano or, or just just hanging about with Harpo. Yeah, it's a shame. But I think it's a better song than it's given credit for. Um, I know, you know, he's telling them to to step up and sell things and all that stuff, you know. But, you know, he's not really. He's being silly because obviously singing won't help you sell mm. things. Mm. And um, I think some of the lines are good. You know, to smart affairs, mm. my lady wears this step in to step out. I think that's Very pretty clever. good. Mm-hmm. <laughs>
4: um i only wish there was a, a hair more set up to it where grover was saying something along the lines like now don't interact with my employees or don't 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 mm. immediately makes them want story. to do
2: it <laughs> don't sing while you're yeah, right. <laughs> for crying out <laughs> loud yeah uh it does go, it, yeah.
1: it is a rather abrupt uh intro into the song but once mm-hmm. you get into the mm-hmm. song i agree with matthew i think it's mm-hmm. a lot of fun and when groucho dances mm-hmm. with the girl mm-hmm. uh Great dancing, yeah. 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 Which uh, yeah. Uh, Frank Ferrante actually put into his show, I think an earlier version of
3: it. He, he's actually, he's very Ferrante-ish in this number, yes, isn't he? Yes, he
1: is. <laughs> yes, he is. That's very. That's he really interesting is, yeah. He's got
3: that Ferrante vibe. Yeah, he has, mm-hmm.
2: yeah.
6: Mm-hmm.
2: Ferrante-ish. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> <I think> Ferrante-esque. <laughs> <laughs> it's Ferrante-esque, yeah. I always thought that this number, um, especially the fashion show section of the number where Groucho's uh, narrating his way Hmm. through all these looks. Um, It's always struck me as so similar to a Danny K. Sylvia Fine number. It is Um, along those lines. Yeah it feels a lot like Anatole of Paris or a- uh-huh. any of that specialty material. And I always took it as uh kind of conforming to the comedy times. I read that, um, but no Danny Kaye, you know, he became a nightclub star in New York in 1940. His first Broadway show was the same year as the big store. And he didn't make his first film with Goldwyn until 44. So it wasn't, I don't think it could have been a K Fine influence, but that kind of stuff must have just been. Well, in the air. have
1: you ever heard um, mm-hmm. um, that uh, Danny Kay was heavily
2: influenced by uh, Harry Ritz? Yeah, it feels that way, and it feels like uh, Groucho is consciously doing something a little different, doing a different kind of comedy than than mm-hmm. usual. Uh, mm. There is also a brief moment when he's being carried in a rickshaw, which is a pleasant, oh, yeah, a throwback to Evocation, yeah, of mm. animal
1: crackers. I, I I like the technicolor uh, line in the uh, fashion. Technicolor yeah. line,
3: sure yeah. It's another fourth wall breaking mm-hmm. line. And yeah. uh
2: four singers of color singing about cotton. That's age uh, yeah, that, well. That, 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 was,
3: <laughs> that didn't make me cringe too much um i i do like um when he comes on and does his own little fashion bit with his with his hair sticking up at, um oh, in yeah. a point, he looks like one of them uh, i i like the way that, that when he then goes off to virginia o'brien they could easily have just just cut there and put him back to himself but he he goes off to virginia o'brien still with his with his hair sticking up in that strange way <laughs> and he looks like one of the munchkins i find that very sweet he looks
1: like a munchkin from the
3: wizard of oz <laughs> yes He really does.
2: (laughs) I was thinking that this number kind of um, makes it it impossible for me to believe that Dr. Hackenbush was excluded from Day at the Races because Groucho didn't feel like rehearsing and filming it, uh, as we've been told sometimes, because he was willing to spend, I'm sure, days if not weeks on Mm. this number. Mm. Yeah, this was a big production number. This was a big MGM production number. Big number, yeah. Yeah.
3: And and Groucho is getting the the starring role in it. I think it's a lovely little number. Me too. Really Me do. too.
1: And when the platform starts moving towards the elevator, yeah, that's it's nice. actually yeah. exciting. It's yeah. actually a very uplifting yeah. mm. moment. It feels a full of energy. Bit, yeah,
4: we should acknowledge that a lot of fans do not like this, and all we could say is that you know you got to take the entertainment where you can get it in these in these later mm-hmm. films. <laughs> and if it's not uh hooray for Captain Spaulding, it's certainly entertaining on its own terms. Mm-hmm.
2: as with the whole film the material is what falls short you know i yes. mean the, the musically it's fine but you do have we've cut the price of rugs in half we've cut our rugs today there's a rug sale on and a rug salon, in a rug salon. We're cutting rugs in a solid way mm-hmm.
6: you know it's like halfway
1: well yeah. in, in yeah. a very 1940s swing time way you know again conforming mm-hmm. yeah.
3: to the times But it feels to me like the work of people who are putting some effort in, whereas the previous two films, particularly the previous one film, uh, feels like people who simply don't care. Performers who don't want to be there and creative personnel who aren't interested in what they're doing. And this time, I think there's, there's, there's a, there's a much more of a feeling that this is something people, the people who are doing it want to do. And it's got, it's got energy and pace and zip. Mm
1: -hmm. I agree. Uh, do you think, there's a possibility that the the three writer the three Ritz brother writers uh, looked as this looked at this as a uh, a step up and wanted <clears> to impress MGM for crying out loud yes that's, so they really did give it that's a shot a good point yeah you know? I thought it was interesting that Harpo and Groucho start playing cards while all the dancers are dancing yes you know that's yes. something Harpo would normally do with Chico uh,
3: yeah exactly he should just be sat there shouldn't he yeah he should have been playing cards.
1: He
4: probably was out playing cards, <laughs> yes, I think you could eliminate yeah. the probably
3: okay, so now we meet our villainess peggy uh, Marion Martin in Ooh. the the role Ooh. which i <laughs> She's so role, mean. which I suspect was was written in just for the sake of giving her something to do uh once once she 'd been uh, written out of the the Martha Phelps part because it it absolutely comes to nothing. Very mm-hmm. much, uh, b- bizarrely, very much like Esther Muir in... A Day at the Races, who just disappears. She's set up as, yeah, as as serving a purpose, and then she vanishes. But it's, a, you know, it's a nice scene. It's very funny. Mm-hmm. Um, I love, obviously, her, her having the back of her dress cut away. Um, and I think, mm-hmm. you know, she does very well. It's a, good, it's a good little scene, I think.
2: I think when she says to Harpo, out of my way, stupid, that's a, a low point in the canon.
3: Yes, except that he then has his revenge... He does, yes. It he, does sort of set up her,
2: her humiliation
1: at the end. Uh, but I agree with you, Noah. It's, it's, it's a bit ham-fisted.
4: You know, this, this lady is basically helping plot to kill our hero. And she's called, uh, the Marxist idiots. And all mm-hmm. she gets in return is, uh, a little indignation that Harper used to do on women for no reason at all in previous mm-hmm. films. Mm-hmm. But I have to say, Bob, it does, it does work. It does
1: work. I've seen this film uh, actually quite a lot with an audience. Um, When I was growing Mm -hmm. up in New York, we had a a theater called the Mini Cinema in Uniondale, Long Mm -hmm. Island. And um, they were one of the uh, champions of bringing back the Marx Brothers in the late 60s and early Mm -hmm. 70s. And um, the big store actually had a lot of big laughs in it, uh, from what I recall. And that was one of the biggest But then at that time, I realized that the Marx Brothers were so popular that, again, they could have read the phone book and and the audience would have been screaming.
4: Oh, of course. I think that's a funny gag. I just think that there's so much setup for it where Harper used to just do that for no reason at all. That that would be a throwaway gag in Horse Feathers. I I wanted to see it set on fire. But, true um, yeah but
3: at least he's doing it at all though you know he doesn't do anything yeah. like that in the in the previous two does he or the previous three actually right right um, it is a kind of a paramountish thing for him to do isn't it mm-hmm.
1: yes yes it is does anyone notice the music playing in the background i didn't actually no it's actually a hit song from the period it's called yes my darling daughter
3: I oh, that. I love that song. And I Quite didn't notice that's hit. what it was. That's yeah. the music. I but, love that song. Yes. Yeah, Andrew sisters do a lovely version of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Dinah Shore had a big hit with it, too. Mm. Um, but it's I've noticed in this film more than any of their other films, they call it Mickey Mousing. There's a lot more underscoring in this film than in any other and yes. sound effects. You know, the boings and yes. the, the slide whistles yes. and all and that. and swanny
3: whistles and, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Again, uh, uh,
2: uh, giving into
1: the times. Uh, there was a lot of that going yeah. on.
2: Yeah, you know the scene when Harpo is taking all the junk out of the car mm-hmm. and then puts it back in quickly when the cop returns? Mm-hmm. Um, it's almost hilarious, and it, it feels like it – it could, but doesn't, build to something like the knife-dropping It just routine. fades. Mm-hmm. You know, if it just crossed that threshold of plausibility mm. where there was too much stuff in the car and he was too adept with it. Um, but one of the reasons <clears throat> it doesn't quite come off is because there's this comedy music, this kind of bassoon yes. line plodding along mm-hmm. behind it to let you know how right. funny it is.
5: <laughs>
1: Uh, I also have a theory that Douglas D'Ambrill actually paid uh, the authors to write a scene where he got to kiss Marion Martin. (laughs) Douglas
4: (laughs) Dumbril never kissed anybody in any film, ever. Yeah, Yeah, that's harder to believe than the Marxist roller skating, is that she would... (laughs) He gets a good, solid kiss in, too.
1: I mean, go, go Doug. Go, Doug.
4: (laughs) Could we do that again, guys? Yeah, yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> we need another take. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're Sam Wood when you need him. <laughs> uh, but yeah, she was, she's, she was a beautiful woman, Marion Martin, former uh, showgirl, Ziegfeld showgirl.
3: Yes, there are some some uh, some risque shots of her, aren't there? That if you mm-hmm. want to, if you want to Google her, if you do a Google image search, I mind. You Google might her. want to put a sheet over the budgerigar's cage first.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, now we've really lost our listeners. (laughs) Don't worry, they'll turn up. They're all looking for pictures of Marion Martin, and I don't blame them. Even I've lost interest. (laughs) (laughs) What are we
3: doing here? Come on, let's go and look at some Marion Martin pictures. Actually, I've no. We're stuck here, and we're stuck. We're stuck here, and we're stuck with the bedding department. Oh boy! Now this is. This is a strange scene because it's, the bi- it's one of the big comedy scenes. It's one of the sort of comedy highlights of the movie. But in actual fact, it's one of the comedy lowlights of the movie I because agree. it's I one of the agree. few points in the film, I think, where it, it, it tries too hard. It, it, in my opinion, it, it's sort of what the stateroom scene was like before they roadshowed it.
5: Mm-hmm. It,
3: needs, mm-hmm. it needs some roadshowing. It's an idea... And it's totally stale, isn't it? It's mm-hmm. absolutely stale. It starts. It couldn't even have looked good on paper. Mm-hmm. It yeah. starts with a ridiculous premise, yeah. which is they're going to start a sale to get them out of the bedding, which is, you know, that, that's ridiculous. <laughs> that's a stupid plan that means nothing.
1: Even before that, um, <laughs> I, I learned something yesterday watching the film that I never, never realized before. Um, they explained why the Marx brothers are sleeping in the bed department. They were up till five in the morning going over the yeah. books with Tommy Rogers for crying yes, out loud. of course
5: they were. Of so, course yeah. they
4: were.
1: There's a scene I, I want Yeah, to right. That yeah. would have been a great Groucho Chico scene. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So now we know why they were asleep. We can have some
3: funny beds. Yes, funny beds. I've got a beds. good idea. Let's have a load of funny bands that come out with, you know, <laughs> trick photography and oh my word!
1: At least, at least they'll be ready when the audience falls asleep. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Press of the grapes, no press on my wife. Mm. Um, I
3: think it's mm-hmm, funny mm-hmm. that Groucho proves to him he can't have 12 kids. And then he that's, goes yeah, over it. and tries to explain that to his wife and gets the slap. <laughs> that's, that's, that's funny. funny. I, lo- I love that line, run down and get him a bunch of grades. <laughs> but apart from that.
2: And don't you have any other hobbies? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I also like. You know, I,
3: when I watch The Big Store,
2: Groucho turns to the Italian wife and says, I like my cigar too. <damn> <it>.
3: Uh, this is one they should have they should have got Al Was he dead by then? Yes, he
1: was. Very uh, dead. Yeah,
3: they should have got they should have dug up Al Bosberg and and roadshowed showed this <laughs> because it's it's not ready, is it? This scene is not it's, ready. It's not. it's still to in be the filmed. oven. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Unlike those children. Um,
3: <laughs> There's a, such a
2: weird shot when Groucho wakes up and he's lying on his side in this bed surrounded by small children. <laughs> and it's such a – like if you just took that still, uh, someone who didn't know the big store very well, what is this? It looks like, uh, like the Wizard of Oz. Like he's waking up uh, back in Kansas, you know. It's bizarre. And image. you were there
1: and you were there. Uh, yeah, <laughs> my favorite part of that scene is the fact that Cozy Koza is playing underneath
5: mm, as all the yes. beds go crazy.
1: Yes. And this is this this is the third film uh, uh, that song is featured in.
3: Yes, it's at yeah. the races as well. It, isn't that's it? right, the, the, at the, the racetrack. End, yeah. They're playing. Yeah. It. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> God bless MGM. Mm-hmm. They didn't they didn't waste <laughs> anything except the Marx Brothers. Uh, yes. <laughs> and Buster Keaton and Laurel and Hardy and Abbott
4: and Costello, <laughs> we just have to be thankful they didn't bring in an African American film either <laughs> there.
1: That, that's the only thing that yeah. was missing. To do a song number, way. yeah, yeah, you yeah, know. Yeah.
3: <laughs> uh, some interesting people pop up. Um, Mitchell Lewis, including the same the same Red Indian that that was stuck in that ridiculous scene in the previous one. M-
1: Mitchell Lewis, uh, mm. who who had quite a career actually. Um, he he, menaced uh, Wheeler and Woolsey in the Cuckoos, and shows up in. in uh, he, he must have made a hundred films, Mitchell Lewis, usually as a, a a bad guy, and he shows up. He has no dialogue. He just shows up because he looks like an Indian, or a Native hmm. American, if you if you. Um... Or both. Yeah, or both actually. <laughs> <laughs> I love how how all the beds pack up when the Native Americans walk in. <laughs> If that isn't racist, I
3: don't know what is. (laughs) Oh my god, let's get out of here! Oh god, that reverse film though—that bed, that bed that comes out in like three parts and then goes back—and
1: oh, Mm -hmm.
3: what were they thinking?
1: There was a very lame attempt at at a wacky, zany Marx Brothers scene, Mm. and too bad for Chico. You know, it's it's like uh,
3: yeah,
1: again, he's left out to dry. He's left hanging out to dry.
3: And and speaking of Chico left out to dry, here is another uh, thing that, that, that opinion um, very much differs on, which is the piano duet. Mm-hmm. A lot of people uh, absolutely love this scene, Harpo and Chico together on the piano, and I, I, I get that it's nice to see them together, but what I see is Chico being ever more pushed aside. His his piano spot gets shorter and shorter and shorter through the MGM mm-hmm. films, and now the ultimate indignity is he's not even allowed to do it on his own. I, I can't get past that.
1: I, I can't look at it that way, because this is something they had been doing since the 1910s, uh, mm-hmm. this routine in vaudeville. And I think it was just, uh, it could have been Chico himself saying, you know what, I don't feel like rehearsing a new number, let's do this. Uh, yeah yeah. they knew it very well uh it was very popular on stage and i'm i'm so glad we have a film record of it you know because they do it later on the colgate comedy hour and it doesn't have the same energy it doesn't have harpo doesn't seem to be Hmm. uh really into it like he is in the scene in the film uh so i i'm rather grateful that it's there
3: i think i wouldn't have minded if like In some of the other films, if Harpo then went off and left Chico to it. I I get you. I I know what you're saying. I know what you're saying. But I I,
2: I, kind of think – I kind of find it delightful.
5: Hmm.
3: Yeah,
2: me too, Noah. I mean, I don't love it in lieu of a Chico solo. I take that point. But uh, to me, it's such a happy – Duet, and in fact, we uh, recreated it a little bit in "I'll Say She Is" in 2016. We we gave Harpo a little bit in Chico's piano piece, um, and recreated some of the going around the piano mm-hmm. together. Um, and yeah, and I think, as you point out, Nick, it's so evocative of their vaudeville mm-hmm.
1: years. Yeah, yeah, I, I think it's it's kind of priceless.
3: It is one of those things that, obviously, you know, only the big store gives you, which, you know, people who who write off the big store, you know, you have to say, well, it's the only one that's got a Groucho and Harpo double billing scene. And it's the only one that's got the, you know, it is one of the unique selling points. But I just, I just think, you know.
4: It sticks out even more when you see what an extravagant scene that Harpo gets later on. Yeah,
3: exactly. Mm-hmm. I yes. mean, Harpo they put so much into Harpo and, and poor El Chico. But then, you know, yeah. again, you know, he doesn't care. We have to remember he doesn't really care. As long as he's on the posters, you know, as long as, he, you know. And as, as long, long as I, the check clears. You know, I'm probably being... Uh,
4: His name's second. Mm-hmm. Exactly, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd love yeah. to know the story yeah.
3: behind that. You yeah. know, it was,
1: with yes. Chico, it was, it was mostly about the money.
3: Well, speaking of that... Um, Speaking of that harpo uh, number, that's obviously the next big scene that enables us to skip over one of the nastiest bits in the film, which is where um, uh, Tommy Rogers has a, a shouts at Groucho when when they handcuff the oh, wrong people.
1: That's uncomfortable, uh, and
3: Groucho makes a Groucho makes a kind of a, a sheepish, embarrassed face at him, which which suddenly brings Go West back with mm-hmm. with, with a horrible. That's, that's um, a Go West so it
4: does redeem itself slightly uh, when Groucho starts wiggling his eyebrows at Maggie right after that I was going to bring that up okay, he, okay. he
1: actually ignores them after a while and he starts flirting with Margaret Dumont and okay. you know so he kind of <laughs> redeems himself before that scene is over but I hate when, <laughs> when, when Tony Martin turns to Groucho and slaps him on the wrist How's it go him, yeah.
3: give me those keys so I can unlock these handcuffs
0: hurry up what's the matter with you
1: Yeah, you
6: know, that's awesome. Groucho
2: Marx why, why don't you just throw him down a stairway you know so yeah, so here we are—the the other
3: mirror scene.
2: Mm-hmm. It's not characteristic of the Marx Brothers, but it holds my attention for the for the running the, the running time it takes up, you know. And yeah, it feels a little bit like a riff on the kind of identity gags in the in the Duck Soup mirror scene.
3: Yeah, this is one of the most contentious uh, Harpo solos in that. Um, as we know, there was a story that appeared in in the in the trades around this time that he'd cut his hand and that it had a delayed shooting of his harp solo on this film um, the late lamented george bettinger uh, pointed out to me that the, the close-ups of harpo's hands uh, don't seem to be his hands on the on the strings they they're very feminine uh, yeah there's no if you look at the shots of his actual hands he's you know he's got good you know strong veins and knuckles and you know and these are very feminine hands in the close-ups mm-hmm. so it doesn't appear to be his hands in the close-ups.
1: No, I, um, I agree with you, Matthew. I don't think they are. Yeah. Um, has anyone else heard um, the, uh, a story that uh, MGM didn't think that Harpo's harp playing was quite up to snuff and he was dubbed by better harpists.
3: I've heard the stories. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, obviously it's one of those things that, that people really, really don't want to hear, mm-hmm. but, Yes, it's right
1: yeah, up there I'm, with um, you know Fred Astaire's taps were dubbed in later, and sometimes yes, you know uh, yes. you know Hermes Pan would do it when he didn't have time or mm. you know whatever that or Groucho's <laughs> autographs weren't real, yeah. <laughs> 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 yeah. But yeah, there there, there are a lot of stories like that in old Hollywood, you know, so and so didn't sing mm. this portion of the song or, or you know.
3: Yeah. But- I mean, and I, and I just think my, my position on my default on this sort of thing is always that, you know, you, you you don't need to worry because it doesn't mean that they can't do it. There's all sorts of mm. reasons why they might not have all kinds of logistical reasons. That's true. Why it might mm-hmm. not have happened. And Harpo, you know, why he's not really that bothered you know these are just movies they're released they might get re-released perhaps once or twice but he doesn't know anything about home video or, or dvd mm-hmm. this is this isn't this isn't his legacy you know i can't see it bothering him that much
1: yeah yeah entertainment for the moment
3: but yeah that kind of that kind of uh,
1: stung me when i when i heard it you know
4: the the thing nick ne- ne- is that we've heard him play live enough times, you know, in Coconuts and Animal Crackers and whatever else the TV performances were. We know he could play well. So maybe if he didn't play on one or two specific uh, scenes, I could live with it. It's not like he couldn't mm. play. Oh, no. no he, he was a l- wonderful he was always musician. being. Definitely. Yeah, yeah. So it doesn't bother me. If
1: I was just kind of it.
3: shocked
4: by it. That's all. That,
3: that mm. was
1: something uh, highly unusual for me.
3: Alan ayles and Glenn Mitchell both uh, make the point that it's unnecessary that it is revealed at the end to be his dream. It should just be something that that, that happens. Uh, what What they don't say, of course, is how the scene should end. And how the scene should end is with, with Chico wandering on in a nightshirt made up like Groucho. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh yeah. That, that should be the ending of the scene. He should just stroll on in a nightshirt with a mustache painted on and the scene should fade. Or all three of
1: them get up and walk out of the scene. Um, I, there's a line uh, Chico has, another, another pathetic Chico line just before the harp solo. <laughs> you look like a scared scarecrow.
3: A scared scarecrow, yes, yeah. He says you're you're not dressed well enough to. Uh, yeah, 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 but you look bad like rising. a yeah.
1: He would. Why wouldn't he just say mm. you look like a scarecrow? You look like a scared mm. scarecrow. What the hell does mm. that mean? And then he he reveals <laughs> how mediocre his dialect is by saying it's a tattoo bad. <laughs> now I know I know I'm picking it's here. Tattoo this tattoo is a new bad. shit, but yeah. it's a tattoo Ooh. bad. Yeah, that's just <laughs> bad dialect. Uh, comedy, or uh, or dialogue.
2: How about uh, I'm a same nationala like you? <laughs> but but nationala that, like you, yeah. That
1: almost you could see that that almost I I could get. Yeah. But that's a t- too bad. He added that one <laughs> note there, and it's just too much. It's too <laughs> much. It's- I think he got paid by the syllable. I <laughs> as long as he had as many syllables as Groucho. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> 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 okay so harpo's harp solo i i find it kind of delightful i love when it switches to swing uh as i do in all of harpo's uh solo later solos i i enjoy when he starts yeah. playing a little boogie woogie you know is
2: this the only dream sequence in any marx brothers movie
1: Hmm. hmm. hmm.
2: yes hmm. perhaps so i think it is yeah i believe yeah. you're right noah it's, it's presented with a lot of confidence, the way it's framed and the way it's cut, mm-hmm. um, after that bed scene, which feels sort of all over the place in terms of technique. Mm-hmm. Like we're going to find a comedy scene in here one way or another. God damn it. You know?
1: uh, <laughs> Come hell or high this, water.
2: Yeah. Yeah. The harp sequence is at least, you know, it feels like they know exactly what they're doing. It's well conceptualized. Well, we're and talking
1: about executable. MGM here. And yeah. you're mentioning, yeah. we've we mentioned two things. Sing While You Sell looks so great because it's an MGM production. Mm. Uh, yeah. The harp solo is sort of the same thing.
4: Yeah, this is what the director put on his reel.
1: Oh. This, this stuff,
4: yeah. Mm-hmm.
2: In this movie, anything nice is welcome. Like, if this harp number Mm. Uh, if it had been in one of the better earlier films we would probably attack it conceptually a lot more but you know harpo's in it it's pleasant little piece of film and it comes in the midst of a marx brothers movie that we just want to like because it's a sweeter experience than the last couple and Mm. it's in some ways their swan song Mm -hmm.
3: yes and then as if to prove that point we next have a a a long-awaited groucho and margaret dumont uh, sort of wooing scene, which is one of the most archetypal, um, you know, set pieces, and it's it's very much a damp squib, isn't there? It? It's very short. It sort of comes and goes. Hmm. Oh, Wolf! She says to him. <laughs> like, no, really I, I, I really I quite like, like that. that scene. I like the idea of him being called Wolf, and I like her <laughs>
5: saying, "Oh, Wolf."
1: <laughs> but not much else really. I actually like that. I actually like that scene.
0: I'm afraid after we're married a while, a beautiful young
2: girl will come along and uh, you will forget all about me.
0: Don't be silly. I'll write you twice a week.
4: Yeah, that's the one. Uh, what Adamson mentions in his book about uh, the one of the studio heads who wanted it out and saw it at the preview and it got mm. the biggest
2: laugh. It, it, it was demanded excised from the film, but it found its way back yeah. in. And Chico said, uh, "Let's just say the god of comedy," yeah. but yeah. Yeah.
4: <laughs> who he was not on good terms with uh, <laughs> at that point. <laughs> but you know, this this really throws the the whole plot line into disarray because it doesn't matter what uh, happens to Tommy if Martha's not going to marry Grover. It doesn't matter what happens. Tommy. Mm. That's right. Oh, you're good. absolutely right. Mm-hmm. 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 Unless he kills Groucho as well. But but what about um, No, Daddy will mm. that fiend.
1: And what about Virginia Gray's brother, William Tannen? Um, yeah. One of the blandest. Mm, who switches actors. allegiance,
3: doesn't he? So, yeah. so goodness.
1: Uh, oh, you're going to marry Tommy? Yeah. Well, in that case, <laughs> I'm going to stop everything <laughs> I've been building up to for the
2: last six years.
1: <laughs> and, yeah. <you> know, <laughs> yeah,
2: maybe I won't help Grover
3: kill all those people. <laughs> Now, did he go to prison? I My mean, murdering days are over. <laughs> was there
1: collusion here? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, is is did he go to jail? I mean, did he? Was he? In, I mean, this whole scandal this this would this would have been the cover of the time the times for six months. You know,
2: the whole Grover affair. Mm-hmm. Uh, Audiences were very disappointed that none of this was cleared up in a night in Casablanca. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. but yeah, I found that interesting. And then there was that quick cutaway to him untying Virginia Gray, who was tied to a chair in front of the time clock. Why was she? Mm. (laughs) Why wasn't Mm. she in a closet or, or, you know, somewhere (laughs) more secretive (laughs) rather than a place where employees come in and punch in? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, there's another another interesting aspect of this film. Uh, Was it an afterthought? Was that the only set up at the time? I mean, what was the deal?
6: Hmm. Yeah,
1: okay. So, uh, we're leading up to the, uh, uh. The Tenement Symphony, I'm afraid.
3: I we didn't want to be the one to say I, it. I didn't we either. can't really <laughs> stall any longer. I'm afraid. Here it
1: comes. <laughs> the tenuous the symphony. Um, yeah, oh boy,
3: a good, yeah. Yeah. Know how Too
1: bad I, he didn't finish, finish it. Finish it and then diminish it.
2: Is that Sig Ruman singing the
3: symphony? <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> <laughs>
1: we could only hope. <laughs> <laughs>
3: yes the tenement symphony it's a big splashy number it's
1: oh with it's a big gone. splashy introduction from virginia gray stepping right yes. out of the mgm R gang musical uh <laughs> <door>. <laughs> oh my god and we finally get to see the professor that's who that guy is oh
6: yes that's who yes. that is, is. And, that oh, is. Okay. and
1: i just okay. put that together last night watching the film right <sighs> I couldn't believe it. It's and a like bunch we never. I always, I always just say they talk about the professor, this this revered professor, <laughs> and we never see him. And then then I noticed that we there actually he do. He got out of his sickbed to conduct those uh, children.
3: And the nicest thing about this for me is that, unlike Sing While You Sell, Chico's there. Chico and Harpo have a nice little moment in this, don't they? Yes, right? they do. And, and Chico yeah. does a,
1: a little Gershwin esque riff on the piano. Mm hmm. In in the middle of all this, it's very interesting. It made me wonder if he was actually actually playing. I was thinking that (laughs) it might have been the same person who did Harpo's harp songs. Um,
3: Yes, we don't actually see his hands attached to his body, do we? We see him playing, and then we see a close up of some hands. Uh huh.
1: And it's a very uh, intricate little piece that he plays there. A little far bit bit
3: for me to uh, cast aspersions, but yes, Mm -hmm. we don't actually see those hands attached to anything. Mm
1: -hmm. Well,, yeah, yeah, he felt as long as he got as many piano solos as Groucho did,
3: yeah. hmm yes, <laughs> Tenement symphony itself what 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 do we think because okay, I, let's
1: talk about this
3: I don't have a big problem with it it's not it's not something that I love, but i i don't I don't hate it
4: It's interrupted whatever slight momentum this film has built
1: that is my complaint that is my main complaint Mm. bob that's very perceptive of you the movie's sailing along it's very pleasant it's not it's not their greatest film at all but it's it's a pleasant experience and then we get to that point and you actually smell the rubber you hear the brakes screech (laughs) 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 and we have to sit there and listen to this what seems like a 15 minute song stopping the momentum completely that's my argument with it. It's not It's not a bad melody. It's actually a very pretty melody. The lyrics, eh, but um, it does stop everything dead.
4: Much like I thought that the uh, scene towards the end of the races with the African-Americans, it was a good scene. It just didn't belong there at that point in the film. Well, I can say that about a few scenes in A Day in yeah. the Races.
1: Mm-hmm. I think it's such a stop-and-start, um, plotting sort of film, mm-hmm. uh, mostly because of that i i i'd say but uh in this one uh, i think i just think you hit it on the head uh bob uh it just stops the movie dead
3: in its tracks a lot of people complain about the the lyrics being a a schmaltzy um sort of version of of you know uh tenement tenement life um you know the, the kid on the first floor practicing the minuets i mean you wonder you wonder how how much a feature of uh you know uh I don't remember anyone doing that in Dead End <laughs> you know <laughs> I remember a, I remember a kid on the first floor practicing a minuet or even uh, somebody practicing the rumba I can't but, come out guys um, I'm
1: practicing my minuet
3: <laughs> yeah <laughs> <laughs> this idea that it's a very rose tinted view of, of tenement life my, my friend Richard and I who we used to watch the movies uh, together as a kid uh, we did improve the lyrics in one respect to give it a bit more uh, kind of a uh, harder a harder edge of, uh, you know, social realism, Mm. which was to change the lyrics thus. The cry of a vendor, the leer of a sex offender. (laughs) (laughs) And that uh, brings us
1: back to Hiram Phelps. (laughs) Yeah.
2: uh, It's uh, Tom Lehrer now, my (laughs) (laughs) hometown.
4: And they have lots of reason to believe that there are murderers running loose in the store but they're gonna bring a bunch of children into a right right
1: oh and i missed one important point to me about groucho um when he's still asleep in the bed and um um, virginia gray's brother comes over to wake him up to tell him there are killers in the store and they're gonna kill tommy rogers he wakes up just enough to tell harpo and chico and then goes back to sleep
5: yeah. yeah, that's my that was my biggest laugh in the film.
1: I love that yeah. Yeah. Groucho's back. Yeah. It's like who cares? I'm going to sleep. I was up till five in the morning doing the books with him. I don't need to say.
3: So anyway, Tenement Symphony. What do you think, Matthew? You like it, Matthew? I I don't dislike it. Mm-hmm. I mean, I I think it I, I like the I think it's a nice tune, and you know I I think it's got a certain sweep to it I mean as a part of that film obviously it comes in too late
5: Mm
3: -hmm. much as the the harp solo in Go West which I quite like on its own terms just comes in too late it stops the film Mm -hmm. when it's just you know kind of getting off its ass um the, the same thing with that but I I, I'm not sure why it's hated so much. I mean, I sort of, I sort of get two blind loves.
1: Oh yeah, yeah.
3: Two blind loves. You know, I mean, even that doesn't bother me too much. But I understand why that's kind of the worst. But this one,
1: I went to a benefit in the early 1980s, and the host was this cheesy, almost, um, almost Catskills <laughs> type of comic, and he wanted to do a song, and he started int- introducing this song as one of the most neglected. One of the most beautiful, one of the most important pieces, I think, that <laughs> came out of Hollywood. And sure yeah. enough, he started singing the Tenement Symphony.
5: Hmm. Mm-hmm. And
1: you could hear jaws dropping around the room, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Not unlike Tom and Jerry, you know, the con, <laughs> <Yes. You know>? con, <laughs> I couldn't believe it. But anyway. So, and like I said, in England, it was very much appreciated.
3: Mm. Yeah, and other people did versions of it, and it was yeah, it was quite a hot thing, I suppose, because you know we had a, a more sentimental view of 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 that uh, you know New York tenement life, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in it, probably seemed much more hokey in America than it did to us. Mm-hmm. I guess it
4: also helps justify having his name up there above the title. Tony Martin. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's he's got to be more than just a romantic mm-hmm. lead. He's got to have a, a real showcase.
1: And in true MGM fashion, it just reeks of importance, this yes, time. Right. you know? Yes. It's like at the end of um, the, the Gershwin story when they play Rhapsody in Blue. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's 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 kind of on that level of importance in
2: this film. Do you think there's something about, this may be more broadly true of Hollywood than, than just the MGM Marx Brothers films, but it seems to me that in all the MGMs, the hero, the male lead, always has to be working class this kind of working class striver and you know they go to great lengths to make it clear that tommy mean uh uh Rogers. What's his name? Tommy Rogers. Tommy Rogers. <laughs> Tommy
5: Rogers. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I can't even remember who the hell he is. But He comes from this modest background and it's, it's celebrated in the Tenement Symphony um, the same way, you know, Baroni in A Night at the Opera has to be the struggling mm-hmm. singer. Oh, yeah. And the someone villains to root are always people of means. Mm-hmm. It was their, right. their, their version of someone to root
1: for. But uh, Kenny Baker kind of goes against that, though, in At the Circus. He's a, he's a little rich boy. Uh, playing. He's a rich boy, but he's slumming, isn't he's he? Slumming. He's kind of yeah. he's
3: yeah. he's found authenticity in uh, yeah, in, yeah. Uh, in the and streets. he can't tell a donut from a wedding
1: cake. <laughs> <laughs> he is the most nearsighted of the heroes. Of and when he gets knocked out, he deserved it. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh, no. I, I want I wanted to see I wanted to see him dead, but <laughs> um,
5: <laughs> so
3: where are we? Okay, so um, let's uh, we're at the big so, the big yeah, we're leading the big the big signing finale. party and murder uh sudden somebody uh, they said we're going to sign the the checks you know sign the the contract mm-hmm. and then it's just suggested hey why don't we make a why don't we make a thing of that right. and then suddenly this whole big thing is planned isn't it Suddenly the press is filling the room and Grover thinks, hmm, I know, this place is full of press, so let's kill Tommy actually here, now, (laughs) not tomorrow, not at two o'clock tomorrow morning when he's in bed, let's do it right now, in front of the press, with a gun, in a camera, that I've put in there. With no gloves on. <laughs> <laughs>
1: I love once once he switches out the cameras. He looks at at uh, Bradley Page
2: like, "Look what I did!" Isn't that great? <laughs> it's the old gun in the camera ploy. <laughs> <laughs> he must be counting on it to be the same photographer in Monkey Business who didn't know Harpo was under the. <laughs>
1: But you would think this Machiavellian, uh, almost Shakespearean villain yeah. <laughs> would, would have better sense <laughs> than to put a gun in a camera.
4: And you would think that they're, you know, they're going to shoot a wide shot of all these people signing a contract. Why would the gun fire a board right at Tommy? <laughs> yeah. to- yeah. Tommy well, yeah. uh, they, they were going to take a picture just of Tommy. That
1: was, that was the thing. Uh, mm-hmm. But how did, they, how did he know that was going to be the camera on a
3: mm-hmm. table full of cameras? I'm no expert about cameras, but I presume you can't just put a gun in one and it'll fire. So <laughs> It's like an ingredient. <laughs> so that's his plan. And, and amazingly, it doesn't, it doesn't go to plan. Well, let's
4: talk about the photograph that does get taken.
3: Oh, my. Mm, yeah. Which is brilliant, isn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah. It's one of my favorite photographs. Perfectly
4: mm. in focus, even though it was, it was
1: um, taken during a move. You know, uh, (laughs) Rover was grabbing her and pulling her through Mm -hmm. the curtain. (laughs) But it looks like they're posing at the MGM publicity department (laughs) with perfect lighting, and everybody's in perfect focus.
3: I love Groucho in that photo. He's he's back at his at his go west publicity still best, isn't he? He does not want to (laughs) be. He does not want to get involved in that.
1: (laughs) Maybe he sensed how ridiculous it was. Oh my.
3: My favourite line is when um, Grover says, No, 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 don't take my photo. And nobody knows at that point why. We, we don't know yet. Because mm-hmm. he, in a minute he says suddenly, There's a gun concealed yes. on one of those cameras. He says, no, no, don't take a picture. And Chico says, Go on, take his picture. <laughs> like he knew. So presumably, just simply because Grover doesn't want him to, he doesn't know anything about the gun go on take his picture (laughs) that'll piss him off for some reason he doesn't want his photo taken go on do it
1: and we all know that chico's character is perceptive enough to sense grover's uncomfortable attitude toward getting his picture taken so he assumes there must be some sort of weapon in that camera that's how i that's how i justify that scene um (laughs) <laughs> but anyway so we're we're skipping we're skipping the major i think the major bone of contention in this film and that's mm-hmm. the finale the roller skating yes finale. yes um, here it comes yes okay now um, I'll, the chase. I'll i'll sit tight while you guys um chew on this for a while because i have my own my own feelings about it
4: i wouldn't mind it i wouldn't mind it if it was actually funny I wouldn't mind it not being the Marxist. I wouldn't mind the doubles. I wouldn't mind anything if it was actually funny, but it it's not the Marxists, it's not funny, so what do you got left? Okay.
3: I prefer it to the Go West train and I prefer it to the at the circus uh cannon, you know, gorilla scene. That doesn't mean I love it. I don't think it's brilliant. I think of those big MGM slapstick chase up the wall, down the wall, firing out the gun style finales it is my favourite of the three Um, again, I think it has an energy to it that I respond to, I mean I was watching it on Sunday um, on my little VHS player with my little television and my son came in and he thought it was brilliant, he's five years old and he made me put it on again and I thought, you know, he's not the most discerning audience in the world but there's something to be said for that I think it is, you know. I I like I like the happiness of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I like the the inventiveness. I mean, he loved him swinging on those um, lights, the light fixtures, you know, light fixture things. Um, I prefer it to the previous two. Is about the best I can say for it. But that's something, isn't it? I'm with you, Matthew, on that. Mm. Um, Noah. Yeah, I, that's essentially the
2: way I feel about it. I mean, I I I. I don't know that I would rank it above. The train thing in Go West is not at all my kind of sequence, um, but its ingeniousness does redeem it a little bit. Um, this one I find a little less ingenious and therefore harder to get through. And yeah, I mean, as Bob points out, it seems so far from the essence of the Marx Brothers. And to see them particularly at this point doing this kind of Max-Senate Sped up camera chase scene, uh, when they get on roller skates. I think I mentioned it in our, um, episode where we talked about our least favorite moments. Yeah. Um, for me, this is, is one of them. It's, it's not because I, I, you know, despise it and have a big case to make out of, uh, against it, but, uh, yeah, it feels to me like a, a little embarrassing to watch them go through this.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, I agree with, uh, Matthew as far as, uh, it being the best finale of the three of uh, the two, or, or the three last MGM films, final MGM films. Um, the train sequence I find deadly dull. Uh, despite yes, the fact that too, it's, yeah. it, it's it, maybe the concept is brilliant. Um, and some of the Buster Keaton gags are, are, which I think would have been much better had he been doing them. Um, yeah. and mm. the dialogue Groucho is forced to say is just, I find embarrassing. Um, I yeah. think that's a, uh, uh, the opinion of that finale is, is so overblown. And so, so I, I just don't understand it personally. Mm-hmm. Um, the finale, uh, to the big store, when I was in fifth grade, which means I was what about 12 years old, um, 11 or 12 years old. I knew, uh, the big store was on television that day. And I couldn't, I, for some reason I didn't, I couldn't fake sick that day and, uh, which is what I would usually do. And I convinced my teacher to let us watch the last like 15 minutes, which unfortunately had the Tenement <laughs> Symphony in it. Um, but when the finale came on, I never heard such laughter in my life from a room full of 11 mm-hmm. and 12 year olds. It was absolutely deafening how loud the laughter was and how, how sustained it was. Um, I've also seen it get that reaction in, um, um, screenings of the film with audiences. It is a, uh, Noah mentioned it. It's a Max Senate scene. It's a Max Senate finale. Uh, uh-huh. And to me, uh, yes, it, they're using stuntmen. Uh, you know, it's very, very uh, um, atypical of the Marx Brothers. Uh, but I find it rather enjoyable. And I do find it funny, Bob. I think there are some very funny gags in it. Um, I do like when Johnny Burks, as the... uh, uh the uh, janitor has it, his head is uh, up there with the other um head models mm. and then you see him move and he goes down again it always surprises me when that happens um and you know there are some moments in it that are just delightful to me i i don't know i've just um,
4: never appreciated that kind of uh humor done later in the sound era, when they tried to recreate that type of madcap, you know, with sped up cameras and sound effects, you know, mm-hmm. in the in the 30s and 40s and 50s, it, the, that that type of thing has never worked. I, I appreciate the original center type of humor, but not the recreations or the revisits to it. Right. right. I understand. And yet you're, you're
3: a saying.
2: mad, mad, yeah. mad, mad world fan, are yeah. you not? It seems like in so many ways, the film career of the Marx Brothers is a reaction against that style. Mm-hmm which, I mean, I appreciate it too. On That's its true, that's I, true. I, I enjoy silent comedy and I enjoy Max Sennett, um, but it is a, a revolutionary thing when the Marx Brothers come along and really make antique the sort of Keystone Cops style of
1: comedy. Yes. And, and again, this was popular uh, during that time. Again, we're they're embracing the time they're in at this point. Um, let's face it, uh, Matthew, you, you know, uh, a lot of the Abbott and Costello finales are this kind of chase, you know, where they're yes. doing impossible gags and cartoon gags and, and all of that. Um, I, it never bothered me. Even Red Skelton, who was doing this hmm. maybe into the 1950s, his films,
5: mm-hmm.
1: uh, Bob Hope also, uh, mm-hmm. was doing this kind of thing. Frank Tashlin was uh, responsible for a lot of that. Um, yes. So I always, I always find it kind of enjoyable. I, I enjoy it. Yes. And it is a it's a grand slam finish, you know. As far as I'm concerned, it is.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a nice sort of grand slam finish to their to their career. And it's almost like they're sort of allowing themselves that now. Yeah. You know, we've we've made all these films, and now let's just let's just go for broke with a big splashy, you know, physical sequence. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the interesting things about it, though, which I, I should uh, quickly stress, is the is the amount of reverse printed scenes in it. You'll notice that Douglas Dumbrill's side parting changes from left to right quite a lot and the, when Harpo goes into the uh, the lift, you, if you look at the sign next to the lift, uh, the writing is backwards. Mm. Um, apparently um, there were some mistakes made during the shooting uh, with regards to uh, point of view shots where the characters were looking and things. the The, the motion of the scene is basically right to left. But there are some left to right shots that they had to switch. Hmm. And uh, a lot of the original reviewers, particularly in the, in the trades who, you know, the, the people that knew what they were looking at made this point that it was, it was very badly edited. So it's worth noting that ironically, the, the editor of the film was a man called Conrad Nervig, who actually won the first ever Oscar for editing back in 1933 for a film called Eskimo
1: that's an excellent film by the way if you ever get the chance
3: really i've never seen it excellent but so uh, yeah there's a lot of um you know uh, corrective work is done in this final and an awful lot of it is is reverse printed
4: by the way dumbrill's uh, stunt double is one of the worst matches i have ever, ever. I seen. agree with <laughs> you. i think out of all of them this was the worst you're right it's a guy 20 years younger with, with dark hair <laughs> You're right.
3: You're it can't right. be as bad as the uh, the Curly Howard ones with a full head of hair. <laughs> like when he, falls off, when he falls off his chair in disorder in the course, <laughs> this guy's got a quiff.
5: <laughs>
3: uh, there's a couple of
2: shots in this chase sequence where Groucho is a, a very different looking man. Yeah, he's much um, more yeah, square-jawed. Uh, yes. You know? <laughs> uh,
1: definitely younger and, and, and a better looking man than Groucho was.
4: I do enjoy the few moments where we actually see the Marxists skating in this. Me too.
3: Me too. Mm. There are a couple of shots where it is them, isn't there? Yeah. Where it is uh, unequivocally yes. them. And Yeah.
1: It served Chico well mm. later when he was uh, roller skating with,
3: <laughs> with that team. <laughs> His second career as a roller
1: skater. <laughs> as yeah. a roller skater. <laughs> you pay me, I do it. <laughs> <laughs> I like the final scene, by the way, with Charles Lane.
3: Oh, yeah. I think Very nice. They're better Very endings. Nice. Yeah. When you think, Go West has got a horrible ending, as not it? The, Where worst. the The bloke falls in a hole and they shake hands. Yeah. Terrible. At the Circus is my favorite of all their endings. That's yeah.
1: that's mine too, Matthew. Mm. Um, but I think this one is kind of right up there. I like A Night in Casablanca too.
3: Not bad, not bad.
1: Yeah. But if something like that could only happen to me and then they run after her. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very
3: funny ending. Um, but I like this one. I think we're, we're basically all agreed, aren't we? This is a film that is not in any way great, but not in any way painful. It's um, an enjoyable, uh, pleasant, underrated movie. Would we all say that? I, I, I have to add
1: that out of all of the Marx Brother films, um, I think I OD'd on the Paramounts to the point where I don't watch them as much, Um and yeah. of the MGMs, I have to say that the big store is the one I go back to more than any of the others. And I can't tell you why. I mean, mm-hmm. could I tell you a quick story? We got the tape.
2: That sounds like a yes. Okay,
1: thank you. When I was nine years old, um, <laughs> my mom went back to work and we were home alone on Easter vacation. So there was no school. And that morning, the big store was coming on television at 9 a.m. Now, at about 8.30 in the morning, I was already pacing, waiting for the film. I'm, I'm nine years old. And I decide to kill time. I would lift myself up on my kitchen counter and try to open up the cabinet with my mouth. Now, we had these raw, round metal knobs on the kitchen cabinets. And I'm doing this, and I'm thinking, boy, look how clever I am. I, I don't need my hands to open the kitchen counter. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why people looked at me funny back then and continue to mm-hmm. do so for, to this day. Um, but... My hand slipped, and my front teeth broke in half.
5: Mm.
1: Oh. It was quite traumatic. And uh, it, all hell broke loose. Uh, we got in touch with uh, our neighbor, who was going to drive me to where my mother was working at the time, and I knew it was going to be a horrible scene. I, these were my adult teeth, so, you know, it was over. And um, while I was waiting for the neighbor to pick me up, and take me to what I was sure was going to be pure hell, I sat down and turned on the big store, and I forgot about my troubles for about 15 minutes. Hmm. So maybe, mm-hmm. maybe that's why this film is so special to me um, and why it's my second favorite of the of the MGM films,
4: even over a day at the races. I have a little different uh, origin story on this film. It's one of the two Marx films I vividly recall The first time I saw, um, the other being Animal Crackers. But the first time I saw the big store was when I was in high school and they were having a Marx Brothers, uh, festival. And I went on a day where they were showing at night at the opera and then the big store. And I, and I had read, you know, some of the books on the big store and I knew it wasn't, uh, considered one of the best, but I figured, hey, it's the Marxes and, they showed opera first, which might not have been the best choice for this. And, you know, everybody was rolling in the aisles and it just got a tremendous response. And then the big store started and there were chuckles and a lot of silence and people starting to walk out. And it was, it was somewhat, uh, uh, depressing for me. And, uh, and I don't necessarily think it was because it was that bad a film, but just the, the contrast to, opera which had just played before it was it was very vivid and it was very apparent now over the years I've come to appreciate the film more and I I do like it quite a bit but I don't necessarily uh think it's particularly funny it's more likable than funny and I, I actually laugh more at go west and at the circus so I can't necessarily say that this is uh, uh the best of their later MGMs but uh, I can understand why people enjoy it because it is very likable it's a very likable film. Yeah. You're right, but who who planned that screening? Ben Turpin. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was one of those things where they had uh, you know like three nights and they had like two films each night. That- right, right. I always found yeah. it interesting the yeah. movies they paired. You know,
5: yeah.
1: I was very lucky in the fact that I saw a double feature um, of Horse Feathers uh, and Monkey Business, and it was the first time I saw the two of them it was in a theater, mm-hmm. and that was the best way to see them for the first time.
5: You know, mm-hmm. yeah, Gabby.
1: <laughs> oh, you hear Gabby? Gabby? <laughs> hey, hey
5: Gabby?
3: the famous That's Gabby, Gabster. We got her.
4: We got her on the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> Could I, can I mention two other moments from the film that uh, I noted here? No, uh, we're talking about Gabby. No. Well, like <laughs> 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 early, early in the film, when Tommy uh, gets knocked down the elevator, uh, in the aftermath, Chico starts fouling the sky. who looks like Truman Capote has <laughs> nobody <everybody> noticed that
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you're right he's the winner of the Truman Look lookalike contest <laughs>
4: <laughs> and the other one well, refresh my memory what, what was the scene where there, were, there was like two mannequins and it turns out one of them is a real person oh yeah,
1: they, yeah. You, Chico flips the wig on one and yeah. then Harpo tries mm. and he gets yeah. slapped Yeah.
3: Yeah, Chico thinks it's hilarious that he's doing that, doesn't he? Before before any error is made, Chico just thinks that's a funny thing (laughs) to do.
1: Sure, Uh, he knows there's a camera. He knows there's a gun in the camera, but he doesn't know. (laughs) But he finds amusement by this. Um, But uh, yeah, no, the big star I've seen with with. audiences and uh it didn't get the response that you're describing bob but i could understand that if you watch a night at the opera first and then you watch you know the big store mm. it's kind of like watching a hal roach R gang and then mm. watching one of those mgm abortions mm-hmm. uh you know i would walk out too i suppose
2: yeah. But, uh, it also has something to do with where you are with the Marx Brothers. I mean, if you're a fan and you're fully aware of how brilliant they are at their best, mm-hmm. um, then watching these lesser entries, you know, um, is is fine. It's a little bit more of of these great artists. And the big store is indeed a happier experience than some of the other later films. Um, but somebody who doesn't know them very well, if they say, oh, yeah, you, you're a big Marx Brothers fan, aren't you? I, I thought I'd maybe take a look at the big store. You would say, no, 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 no. (laughs) That camera has a gun in it, you know.
4: (laughs) Well, actually, though, you know, it's one of those things that uh, maybe your perception is soured by how good you think the other films are. And if you've seen this first, you might uh, enjoy it quite a lot.
2: Oh, Yeah. We know people like that, don't we, who, who saw it first and, mm. and loved it and it opened the well, door. Well,
1: when I was growing up, it, the Marx Brothers could do no wrong. I mean, you could have shown them, you know, pouring water into, into, <laughs> into the ocean and people would have thought it was brilliant. You know, there, there was no discernment back then. It didn't matter which films they were showing. It, they always got the same response. Roars of laughter, including The Big Store and Go West and At the Circus. Which now I look at now that I've become more of an adult and I could I, I look at it with a, a more discerning eye, um, they're clearly not the the best work or or deserving mm. of that kind of response. But again, like we said, I think the big store is the most likable of the MGM films other than A Night at the Opera. Wasn't
3: it? Wasn't it James G. who said, "Christ, even the big stores okay? <laughs> yeah, yes. I think that's the quote. Yeah, <laughs> that's what he
1: said. Yes, yeah. <laughs> such eloquence. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Are we done? I think we're done. Do you have anything to plug? Oh, sure. I, I'm appearing uh, at a, a a wonderful theater here in Los Angeles um, called the La Mirada Theater. It's owned by Kathy Rigby mm. uh, for, of Olympic ah. fame. Ah. And uh, uh, I'm playing John Hancock in the musical 1776. Yes. Uh, we also have a, a DVD for sale. It's also streaming on Amazon Prime and all the other venues. It's The Misadventures of Biffle and Schuster, mm. America's favorite uh, fake comedy team from the 1930s.
3: I know our listeners uh, don't look to me for sincerity, but if you've no idea what Nick's talking about, please do check this out because it's genuinely, it's genuinely really Really good. If you like this stuff, if you like the kind of stuff we're talking about, this is really going to blow you away. Thank you, Matthew. and I mean that most sincerely. Thank
1: you so much. Thank you. A lot we of link it up. A lot of love and care went into it um, by a lot of people who love uh, the comedy from this era, and uh, we do have some fine people uh, in support. We have uh, Academy Award nominee Robert Forster. Um, oh. we have uh, uh, actually an Academy Award winner. For special effects, he plays the gorilla in The Bride of Finkelstein,
5: uh,
1: Chris Whalis, <laughs> And uh, we also have H.M. Uh, Walker, who was in one of the best of the Twilight Zone episodes among many, many film and television appearances. Um, he was the one. Do you remember he uh, unlocks the devil from uh, uh, its cage when he's warned not to? Um, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's a very famous one. John Carradine is also in it. Mm-hmm just some wonderful supporting people in, in the cast. And uh, I think you'll, you'll see it as the true labor of love that it was. So check it out. The misadventures of Biffle and Schuster.
2: We'll put some links to uh, some of Nick's stuff on uh, our website, marksbrotherscouncilpodcast.com.
3: Hmm. And just before we go, Nick, uh, a, a quick bit of Carrie Grant, please. <laughs> uh I suppose because it's my duty, duty, duty. <laughs> but darling, there's a body
1: in the window seat.
3: It sounds like Hiram Phelps to me. <laughs> yeah. Okay, I'm, I'm calling time. <laughs>
1: they actually shared a house together in Malibu. <laughs> I'm calling time. I'm
2: not a cab driver, I'm a coffee player. <laughs> <I'm not that. laughs> Thanks, fellas. I enjoyed myself.
3: The next edition of the Marx Brothers Council podcast will be based on the Broadway musical of the same name and banned by Mussolini. That's causing and curing indigestion at the same time. Until then, here's our special guest Nick Santamaria to sing, "If It's You." If it's
6: you, when a knock comes at my door, if it's you. Then I rush across the floor, but if you're not there, the sky falls on my schemes again. I close the door and rush back to my dreams again. When I'm blue, and a knock comes in the gloom, if it's you. There's a rainbow in my room And when someone kneels with someone Making vows for two If it's me, I'll be in heaven If it's you La-da-dum, la-da-da-da-dum La-da-dee-dee, la-da-dum La da 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 La da da La da da La da da La da 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 La da da La da 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 La da da La da da La da da La da 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 When da da blue da 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 it's you There's a rainbow in my room And when someone kneels with someone Making vows for two If it's me, I'll be in heaven If it's me, I'll be in heaven If it's me, I'll be in heaven If it's it's you